0: Next Chapter Podcasts. The 500, the 500, J-A-M been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to the to go and in need of a friend, the King of these Four Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end, with my man Jim, on the 500, talking the 500 until the end,
1: the 500. Yeah, man, we got a brand new theme song. Congratulations to the winner of our 500 theme music contest. Dude, we had a shitload of submissions. But after 11,780 votes, the winner is Corduroy Orbison. And if you're wondering... Who the hell Corduroy Orbison are? They're a weirdo rock band from southern Indiana featuring David Davis, Zach Evans, Andrew Baum, and Michael Tellez. Check them out at CorduroyOrbison.com. And they're going to be opening and closing the 500 each week with the official 500 theme music. I think it's Dougal. You do too. Let us know. What you think of the new theme song music, you can post on our Instagram at 500podcast or at Josh Adam Myers. tag me, tag the podcast, or email. Really what I want you to do, email the podcast, 500 podcast at gmail.com, and we will read your comments on the Corduroy Orbison theme song on next week's episode. And we'll be ending the episode also with our new theme, closing music. Don't forget to check out Corduroy Orbison on the website, CorduroyOrbison.com. Let us know what you think of the music. Post on our Instagram at the 500 Podcast or at Josh Adam Myers or email 500 podcast at gmail.com. Do that because I'll read those comments on next week's show. Let's get to the show. Doodle doodle. Shaolin shadow boxing. And the Wu-Tang sword style. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu Tang could be dangerous. Do you think your Wu Tang sword can defeat me? On guard. I'll let you try my Wu Tang style.
0: Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus. The fleece army,
1: bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus. Kadookie spoogles, bring the motherfucking ruckus. Dude, my dog, Lekka, is bringing the ruckus. We had to start the podcast off with that clip from Shaolin versus the Wu-Tang because Wu-Tang started the record like that, and then from that point on, hip-hop was changed. Try to tell me I'm wrong. Exactly. The song is Bring the Ruckus by the Wu-Tang Clan from the 1993 debut album Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers and... It's also number 387 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? Fleece Army is now an affiliate of the Wu-Tang. I don't know if you guys knew that, but that's what we're doing. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you guys had a happy and healthy New Year and a great Christmas holiday. 2021, man, it's got to be better than 2020. We can only go up. So I hope each and every one of you has made a resolution and, uh, you know, try to stick to it for a month. You know what else you can stick to? Joining our Patreon. Because if you guys want to watch this podcast, there are two ways you can see my guests and I break down these albums each week. Every Wednesday, we publish full episodes to Patreon for the 500 Club members paying $5 a month or more. We really appreciate Any member of the Fleece Army supporting the show, any way that you can help and support this show by joining the Patreon. It it really, really helps us. We left Spotify in July. We're doing this solo deep. We have a few ads here and there. But we need your help. So go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast to sign up. I know a lot of people are unemployed, but if you can give, please do. And also, we do post the videos to YouTube every Thursday, so you can watch it. Subscribe to our YouTube. I think the influencers say smash that subscribe button. Now, I've been doing this podcast for two years now. And we've had maybe one or two records that have already, like, been, like, deep into my soul. This is a record that changed my life. It changed my guest life, too. Hopefully, it changed a lot of your lives. Hopefully... A lot of you have heard it before I actually want to be the member of the Fleece Army That's never heard this record And they're listening to it for the first time now And if that's the case Please message me and let me know your thoughts I really would love to know What a first time listener thinks of Wu-Tang But let's find out a little bit about it Released November 9th, 1993 On Loud Records and produced by RZA Old Dirty Bastard and Method Man This is the debut record from Staten Island Hip hop collective Wu-Tang Clan So Robert Fitzgerald Diggs, Gary Grice, and Russell Jones were cousins who grew up in the Staten Island and Brooklyn boroughs of New York in the 70s and 80s. They loved Old Soul and R&B, as well as the new phenomena of rap music, breakdancing, graffiti, and DJing. They were also enamored with 70s and 80s Chinese Kung Fu films, especially 78's The 36th Chamber of Shaolin and 1983's Shaolin vs. the Wu-Tang. In the mid-'80s, the three cousins formed a rap group they eventually named the All In Together Now Crew. Yeah, dude, that would have way better. A short while later, Robert also formed another group called the DMD, or the Dig'em Down Posse, that included the best rappers from his Park Hill neighborhood of Staten Island, Dennis Coles, a.k.a. Ghostface Killer, Corey Woods, a.k.a. Raekwon the Chef, Lamont Hawkins, a.k.a. the You God, Jason Hunter, Inspector Deck, and Clifford Smith, who started as Shaquan before settling on Method Man. While East Coast hip hop was all about good vibes, unity, and Afrocentricism, and the West Coast was dominated by Dr. Dre's G-Funk gangster rap, Robert had other ideas. He merged both crews and named them and his new production company after the bad guys from one of his favorite kung fu movies. As he put it, I thought that Wu-Tang was the best sword style of martial arts, and the tongue is like a sword. And so I say that we have the best lyrics, so therefore, we are the Wu-Tang Clan. He convinced them all to trust his vision, no questions asked, and devote five years to his master plan for success. He chose the nickname, the RZA, while Gary became the Jiza, and Russell took ODB, AKA the old dirty bastard. Over hard beats and old school loops, he merged the teachings of the 5% nation, the spiritual philosophies and samples from those favorite Kung Fu movies, and even some inspiration from comic books. To convince the record industry, he got them all to kick in some money to professionally record and press up a 12-inch single. RZA asked their friend, DJ, producer, and graffiti artist Ronald Bean, a.k.a. Mathematics, to design something quickly for the cover and stickers, and overnight, he drew the now omnipresent W logo. Shortly after releasing Protect Your Neck, RZA added friend and novice rapper Elgin Turner, who became MastaKilla. In 93, the group signed a deal with Loud Records for $60,000 that was almost unheard of in it that it not only allowed individual members to record for other record labels, it encouraged them to seek their best individual solo and offshoot group deals. After two years, the album finally went platinum and was critically acclaimed. All the subsequent Wu-Tang records, offshoot projects, solo albums, guest spots, and compilations have established... One of the most revered, influential, and popular rap dynasties in music history. However, in 2004, the group was forever changed after the accidental overdose death of the troubled ODB at RZA's studio. They've had plenty of triumphs, beefs, and reunions, a docuseries as well as a biopic series, and have never stopped making records or selling merchandise. They are a group that transcends hip-hop through lyrical abilities through the members cadence while rapping and the, the flavor that each member brings out this group is special changed my life people changed the direction of my life once i heard this record and it also changed my guest life my guest today is the one and only Tom Segura. Tom is one of the funniest stand up comedians working today. He's had six stand up specials throughout the years, including mostly Stories, Disgraceful, and most recently, Ball Hog, which are all on Netflix. So please go check them out because they're hilarious. He also has one of the best podcasts out there Your Mom's House, which he co hosts with his wife, Christina Pajitsky, who's been on the podcast. He also has Two Bears, One Cave which he co-hosts with another 500 podcast guest, Burt Kreischer. One of the funniest comics working today. I am stoked to have him on this podcast. We've been trying to get him for a while. Dude, Wu-Tang brings people together, people. Wu-Tang brings people together. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. But you can find all my shows at joshadammyers.com and you'll have my videos and podcast links. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, The500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 387. And of the Wu Tang, 36 Chambers by Wu Tang, Wu Tang, Wu Tang. What's up, Fleece Army? I wanted to tell you about our brand new sponsor, the Kratom Experts at Super Speciosa. If you have never heard of Kratom, it's an herbal supplement, and the benefits are through the roof. It's a natural energy booster without the jittery feelings you get from coffee or energy drinks, and the main benefit that I use it for is to handle my daily stress. Two years ago, I started taking it in the morning, and I am telling you, the focus that I get from it, the energy that I get from from it, the lack of anxiety that I get from it, incredible. For me, Kratom is like the holy grail of supplements. Green in the morning, red at night to go to sleep. I wouldn't recommend this product unless I believed in it. And unlike other Kratoms out there, Super Speciosa keeps their Kratom clean and natural because there is only one ingredient. Kratom leaves crushed up into powder, boom, simple. Every single batch is put through a natural cleaning process to eliminate germs and to protect you. The Kratom is tested, sifted, blended, screened for potency, and carefully packaged in a lab-grade facility. And they've created an entire certified system that makes 100% sure you're only getting the best of what nature has to offer. And if you're buying Kratom from a local store big mistake because who knows what you're getting in there you'll save yourself a ton of money and get better kratom by shopping with super speciosa give it a try i promise you'll feel better and if you don't you'll get your money back guaranteed plus they're offering our listeners in the fleece army 20 percent off the first order so go to get superleaf.com 500 get superleaf.com 500 and get 20 percent off now And we'll post the link in our show notes so it's easy for you to just click and take advantage of the offer. We thank Super Speciosa for sponsoring this podcast. It helps me that I get to help you. Now try it out. Enjoy the show. Do you have a limp or like, are you going to have a limp for the rest of your life?
2: No. I mean, if it doesn't heal right, I guess, but I, I shouldn't. It's, you know, I'm in a straight leg brace and then I'll go to a bendable brace in like two more weeks Ooh. and then they just start cranking it like a little. So you, uh, you I just know. start bending a little by little Yeah, and dude. Then, and then it goes, uh, you know, then you're in, I mean, I do rehab. I do PT and OT all week. So
1: OT overtime.
2: Occupational, oh, occupational therapy. therapy. Yeah. But
1: you have, you're, for your job, you you like, can you for bet you thing. need to sit? Uh, Wait, what the fuck is it? Hey, what is your state puff marshmallow man hand? How did you get that shit, bro? Dude.
2: Yeah. Power glove. Yeah, I, this is because I bruised my radial nerve.
1: The fuck is your radial? Which one's your radial nerve?
2: Radial nerve runs down your humerus, underside of your tricep, controls wrist flexion, and some finger extension. So I have to wear this thing until it heals. <laughs>
1: Dude, you probably know more about the the functionality and terms from this part of your arm all the way down to here and your leg than you ever would have known.
2: I've learned a ever. few. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah.
1: What what bone is this?
2: I don't give a fuck about that bone. <laughs> okay, what bone is that? <laughs> That's my humorous. That's the one What's I your broke. Humorous? Yeah. All, right. all right, all right,
1: all right. Let's dive into this shit because this is perfect. All right, tell me. So this this is this is a record that in, in my opinion, transcends hip hop, it transcends rock and roll, it transcends uh, generations because this is like one of those obsession records for me. So um, tell me your story with Wu-Tang Clan.
2: I mean, okay. I can tell you that I remember 1993 was an incredible year for hip hop. And, and that era, you know, it was incredible era, but what I remember specifically mm-hmm. about Wu-Tang was watching UMTV Raps. And I believe it was Fab Five Freddy was on the set of the video they were making for The Mystery of Chess Boxing. And so he's on set. He's like, I'm on set with Wu-Tang. And these dudes had, like, white masks over their faces. And I was like, who the fuck are these guys, you know? Because it seemed like an ominous, dark, kind of, like, wild environment just just that video set and also like who doesn't show their face you know what i mean like everybody wants exposure and like there's dudes covering their faces up and it had like a real grimy feel and i was i remember i remember seeing that on set and i was like yo okay what is this and then i remember the just the album coming out and this really is a like genre-defining album. This is a press play album, meaning like, you know, there's a lot of albums where you're like, this is a good track, this is a good track, you know, like you have your favorites, but like, I remember listening to this album and being like, there's very few times where I can remember listening to something the first time and it kind of redefining like a lane of music and feeling completely original. Like you know, there's 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 some comedians who you go, this person you cannot imitate. He's so he's such a standalone original that there is like there's just nobody like him. And the way that this album sounds like just sounds is so it's so original. It's so unlike anything that I'd ever heard. And I mean like like you know from the kung fu clips to like, just RZA would make like, you know, just squeaks and screws and and pops and like, just all these different injections of sound and the way that songs would be put together, it would like kind of, it would hit you in ways that were unexpected. Everything from like the interstitials, like the sketches to like what would lead into a track. And then, the, the tracks themselves and then I, I always think of like what it must be like to manage nine people doing <laughs> yeah. out like you know you can't podcast with fucking four people you're like shut the fuck up man we're trying yeah, to talk and
1: this isn't nine white people this is nine new york black dudes. and that's the thing this
2: is it's such a it's funny because it's so new york like we now we registered as such a new york sound but it actually didn't sound like anything you'd heard from new york it was like this is a i guess you could say you know this is a such a staten island sound and now when i look back on the album i'm like you know this what the what the album reminds me of is like watching a masterpiece uh, of a movie you know when like there's there's movies that you're like this is a fucking masterpiece like this is you watch like the godfather or something and you're like you know you should watch this not distracted alone and and you, you sit through the film and you're like, at the end of it you're like, oh my god, you know, and that, this album I remember just being like so taken by all the elements, like, that it was a sound that I'd never heard, I listened to hip hop at that point, basically, you know, my whole life, right, and I'm, I don't know I guess I'm 14 when this album comes out, and I'm like this doesn't sound like anything, and then there's so many little things like, you know, these guys, their cadence, the way they speak, they had like that, such a, like a, such a particular way that they spoke, even like individual to individual, you know, like the way Raekwon sounds, the way he literally pronounces words over to, to Ghostface, to, to method man, uh, to RZA, to Jizza, inspected deck, but like, they all have like just such a, specific New York cadence and slang. Then you would hear like, like I remember being like, why do they keep calling each other God? Like, what the fuck is that? I, and I was like learning about the, like 5 percenter shit. Like, oh, this is like a super inside baseball black shit to be like, what up God? <laughs> <And> I've <I'd> never <laughs> heard anything like that. And then you have the Kung Fu shit, the mathematics of it all. And you're like, I I mean, it was like a revelation like that. That's the thing is that the, the album stood out because it was so like, it was so unlike anything I'd ever heard. And it felt like a fucking, I mean like a punch to the face, man. Like well,
1: what were you, what were you listening to like right around that time, right before Wu-Tang?
2: I mean, I feel like, I, I feel like that's the era, like things that like were popular for me must've been like Cypress Hill, maybe, Biggie, Snoop, uh, Tribe Called Quest. I was still listening to like EPMD and like you know yeah.
1: So you're in the genre of hip hop.
2: I'm in the genre of hip hop. I I really like it. Uh, Run DMC, like all that stuff. I mean, Run DMC is kind of like, I guess, still doing things. But I'm saying like these are all, you know, a gang star for sure. And and so you have like a distinct East Coast sound. You have a distinct West Coast sound. There's definitely Ghetto Boys and like you know some Southern stuff. But this thing, like I said, it's like it's definitively New York, but it doesn't sound like what we're used to hearing out of New York. I mean, there's just so many like creaks and cracks and like just shit you've you've never heard. And the I mean, you know, I've heard interviews with RZA talking about, you know, he's definitely like a lot of producers where you're like, not a normal dude. You know what I mean? Like like you're like, there's something going on in this dude's head. Um, and, and then, yeah, like just the lyrics too. I remember, I, I of course appreciate lyrics cause I, I like the genre, but I feel like I listened to the lyrics even more on this album. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're more hard hitting. They, they kind of fit with you more, you know, and, and these personalities, they, they had like very distinct personalities without even, you know, back then, I don't feel like I was, I could, I, I could probably... Pick out who's who right away, right like there's like there's oh 90. for sure
1: you when you woo God starts rhyming you're like, oh, that's woo God when master killer gives his non inflection just completely still verse, like everybody has their own flavor
2: I remember when hearing uh method man his his title track, and like right away you you knew it was like a star like he had he had charisma and like I remember being like, oh that guy's that guy's a superstar. I feel like I, I feel like I thought that the first time I heard that song, you know? Um, And like, I don't know. I always, like Raekwon, I love, I just love the way he spoke, you know, like the actual sound of his voice. And then ODB, I mean, ODB too. It's like, I remember there's that, you know, they, they go through, like their names and why you know why that's his name and like yeah he's like odb there's like old dirty bad there's no father to his style and it's like that's a catchy fun thing but then when you think about it it actually is a great explanation like there is like there's there's nobody that sounds like him they you hear about the way they used to just go into the booth he would get all fucked up and then just go and then Like the beauty of him working with RZA is RZA would would be able to just like pull his brilliant moments and put those into songs. And you're like, man, it's like, like, I always think of this album, like a, like an experience, like a movie. And I, I would, I actually thought about when we were doing this, I'm like, there's gotta be people listening or watching who have never experienced this album. Like there's, there's gotta be. And the only thing I would say to you is pay it the respect of, of listening to it front to back uninterrupted and just, and like try to imagine that somebody just assembled, put this together and was like, here's my fucking first album, which is, it's insane. And then you realize, you know, it, it, it broke these these guys to the point where what are we now we're are we almost yeah, we are almost 30 years later right?
1: almost 30 years yeah 93 so yeah
2: almost 30 years later these guys are known in probably I don't know 190 countries they can go you can say that name and they could sell out a show If you say in the Wu-Tang
1: world. in Zimbabwe they're like oh and they'll put up the Wu-W this is dude this group has transcended music it is a It is a way of life because I'm taking that back to my first experience. So much like you, I was listening to hip hop and rap around that time, but I was still like grunge and fucking, you know, hard rock. Just I loved all different types of music. And I started venturing more towards the guitar driven stuff right around that time. And it wasn't until 11th grade. Maybe 10th, but I'd really say it started in 11th grade where Jeremiah, my producer that we see in that little screen, was in a collective of all my friends, uh, and they all listened to 311, and that was all they li- – and I hate fucking white boy reggae more than – like I think, it's garbage music. I'll stand on that cliff, um, and I remember – I don't know how I got into it, but just suddenly I, I saw – maybe it was Cream. I don't remember the exact moment, but I just remember there was a point in my life before Wu-Tang, and then there was a point after Wu-Tang. And then from that point on, it became an obsession where it was... All of the albums, and this is all prior to Wu-Tang Forever, so it's I bought every single album. I bought all the clothes. We went camping for concerts. We went to Tower Records. Dude, on the night I graduated high school, we had a party over at Cheryl O'Neill's house, and I left at 11.30 to go to Tower Records to buy Wu-Tang Forever, and then I went home when I could have like gone back and touched a titty. To, to another girl at the party, and just put on headphones and listen to the record and smoked weed.
2: Same, dude. Same. I, I mean, we were obsessed. I, when I got to college, I ended up managing the radio station in college, and we had so we had some relationships with uh, record companies. You know, they would send us things ahead of time. I remember getting um, a Method Man album before it was really like a promotion. Judgment album. Night. Yeah, and then Blackout, like like a uh, 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 Meth and Red. Which yeah. I love when they would get together. But we had on our wall handwritten in marker on in the radio station every one of Method Man's nicknames. All his aliases. So it said like hot nicks, iron lung, Allah, like everything all all written down. And it was like fucking five feet tall because he would always <laughs> add like a new alias.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were I, dude, I bought I bought not even Wu Tang original members. I bought shitty affiliates. I was all about yeah, of course. killer kill army sons of man, killer dude, bees, I bought, everything, man. Kill, yeah. I, dude, I bought the alcoholics record. Cause ODB did a verse on one song. That's how about, powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's how,
2: that's what it is. That's what influence and impact is. It's like, you would just hear about exactly like any member on something. You're like, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to watch that.
1: Did you hear about the duvet cover click? Yeah. Who's <laughs> yeah. doing some fucking solos on, I mean, I'm in, It was, but I think, and and this is, and this is the thing, is that you know, post Wu Tang Forever, like I mentioned, they kind of dropped off because you you said this earlier uh, about about it being RZA and looking at it from a different perspective, like he had failed so much in hip hop prior, like getting a record deal and losing it, and then trying to do another click with Jizza and ODB before they were called that. And then seeing this vision and assembling, like you said, all of these different people that are so good at hip hop and rapping, but have their own flavor and and then going, I'm going to assemble them. I'm going to take all my obsessions of the Kung Fu flicks. I'm going to fucking be the visionary and, and say to all of them, give me five years and i will make us an insurmountable amount of money and we will be fucking huge and then to do the whole uh, and this is where i why i think they're one of the most badass business groups uh in music history is riza had the wherewithal to say to loud records we'll give you woo but each and every individual member can get their own record contract yeah. and and they'll they'll pay their 20% to right. everybody but it's like yeah. but like and that i think is like is such a genius thing to do. Like RZA, it, without RZA, th- this group would have never been anything. And no. I, I think it's just so funny that if he just would have held on for a few more years of control, I think, I think Judgment Night would have been way fucking better because that album was fucking trash, dude. Meth, and I love Meth and Man, but that second record was Gar. It's
2: hard. It's hard to you know. You know, you look back on the collection of albums and it's just like anything else you realize that like it is hard to get these things right i mean i think about that like again to use like the analysis of films it's like you know you watch movies and then there's sequels and then there's like most movies right are like fine they're ab- you know what i mean it's like and that's like the follow up to a masterpiece that's why it's hard i mean you can almost be like this is pulp fiction you know, and you're like, how do you fucking follow that up? You know, people are always going to be like, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't Pulp Fiction. You know, like it's it's kind of like that where they made something just ridiculous. And I was, you know, I was remembering right now to guitar stuff like he would throw in just like a guitar, you know, riff, like an electric guitar. You're like screaming. You didn't really hear that. Like no one was throwing in. This guitar just kind of like screaming in the middle of a song, and you're like, and it just worked. Everything worked. So I want to I want to ask you a
1: question because being that you are a white boy from Florida, right? And I'm a white and I'm well, but but for the most part, you when this when in '93 you were from Florida, you were in Florida, right?
2: When this came out, I was actually yeah, I was probably I was probably leaving Milwaukee and um, moving and heading
1: the down there. Okay, yeah. and then I'm I'm a white boy from Maryland and. F- from and I'm not saying that Wu Tang isn't just a white boy rap group, but and everybody loves them. Um, so I'm so all the listeners out there, I'm not saying that you can't be Asian, you can't be oh, Wu Tang. They love Wu-Tang. Yeah. But what I'm saying, it seems to be this stronger base of fans that are white boys. Me and Jeremiah went to a bunch of concerts. We and when we camped out, it was all white dudes there. When and when I saw Rage and Wu-Tang, I mean there were there were a lot of Races of every different color, but there is a majority white people. So I wanted yeah. to ask you, why do you think white men love Wu-Tang?
2: I mean, that's a, it's interesting. You know, if you go back to like that era, um, that was one of the big narratives of, of like the early 90s is an explosion of hip hop, right? Hip hop goes from being like just in black neighborhoods in the late 70s, early 80s to getting into mainstream culture throughout the 80s and then it gets to the 90s and these groups that we were talking about come out and then there's an explosion and at the time i remember some statistic like 70% of hip hop album sales are to white suburban males so it it is who's buying and consuming it like it's made for the streets right but and i think you know part of that just kind of makes sense because A white suburban kid sees like these cool, badass black dudes and goes like, yeah, like, I want to listen to that. Wu-Tang had that added thing where like, you know, it's so well known. But I remember, like, I think you felt cool and or tough or down if you're like, oh, you you know about Wu-Tang? Yeah. You know what I mean? At least for a minute, like as it's starting to grow and like introducing it to people, put this on. Listen to this. So it made you it made you feel like that. It's like like those it's like there's we're talking about how like there's certain movies where you feel it's like the cinema of sexy. You know what I mean? Like a Tarantino thing makes you feel cool because you're like, This is cool. You think you're cool for liking it. You're like, yeah, this is dope, man, that shot and how crazy violent that was. And like Wu Tang has, I think, that element to it, where like you listen to it and you feel badass because you like it you're like
1: this shit's dope man oh like, I, I complete, yeah everything dude all the mythology the shaolin the killer bees
3: welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's ax to grind uh and right now you're going to be getting a little a
1: little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all
3: <laughs> and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom
2: Want to love or hate?
3: Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh, has impacted your life, uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours
2: a week. So, triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. This is
3: Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu.
1: I also feel like Wu Tang made white boys think they could rap because and I'm not saying this from my personal experience. But so I was such a huge Wu Tang fan that I started a white all Jewish hip hop group called DeShackles uh, from Wu Tang, actually. And I've dug through some emails because somebody transferred it from cassette to fucking CD. This is me in 1998. This is this is the shekel. This is the world premiere to the fleece army. All the listeners, we're gonna play it at the end too. But here, go ahead, Jeremiah, play a little bit of shekels. And now the shekels, dang KID, motherfucker! <laughs> oh my god! Oh uh, yeah, I found this guy on
2: the side of the road. Uh, what's I, wrong? What's wrong? God. Oh my god! Oh my god! Bring him, bring him! Bring him! Bring him the! Bring him the surgery! Bring him the surgery!
1: Set, stat! All right, hold on. You, you gotta skip ahead. Get, get to a different track, dude. We'll we'll play that. That's the interlude. The funny is that,
2: uh, like that, I can definitely hear the influence.
1: Thank you. Yeah, sure. here you go. There you go. This, this shit right here. This is, this is our best produced shit too, Tom. Okay. Here you go. Now stop what you're doing. I'm a little Jew and Irish. A little, a little in the middle. Irish has a fiddle. No need for an acquittal. I'm a Hebrew. A oh, who, who, could Jew. I'll eat Mariah's honey like Winnie the Pooh. I thought you knew that I don't waste weed. I got the taste. It's like plain Pepsi. Joker's got what you need on the mic. Just like Boo, we're about to take flight with the might that the Road Runner has. Watch while the Cody go and bust his ass. Beep beep, you know. You
2: just you needed. You we just needed time to develop, man. I mean, that shit was moving.
1: We made seven albums in three weeks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 300, 365 tracks, bigger than the Beatles catalog.
2: That is, um, that's. Impre- I mean, like I hear the influence, though. Thank I you. definitely hear the influence.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask you more questions about the actual. Uh, the woo mythology and stuff later. But let's, let's dive into the record because this is a record, like you said, you know, to all the listeners out there, like if you haven't listened to this record, start it at the beginning, smoke a joint, take a bong hit, take an edible. Uh, don't take any form of a psychedelic because this is not I've had a bad trip. I took LSD once and we were listening to this in my basement and, and, and I was like, you got to turn this off. You got to put on did, some fucking. I would
2: not take a psychedelic to listen to Not. This. It
1: was total bad trip. And then they put on some Beatles and I fell in love with the universe again.
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, this shit is super aggressive. Like. Super. If you're, you know, you've grown it. We've grown accustomed custom to it but like mm-hmm. when you're first listening to this, you're like, I think these guys will fuck me up. Like,
1: <laughs> they will Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Slice me and dice me. All right. So the album opens up with bring to ruckus. Uh, this was remastered from their original demo. Ghostface killer Raekwon inspector deck and jizza on it. This is a journey into Woo's violent world over samples from the 1973 synthetic substitution by Melvin bliss and the dramatics 1971 song in the rain. Something I thought that was very cool about this song that, cause I, was noticing you know even a long time ago how the drum sounded very hollow it's because they recorded the snare drum in an elevator shaft all Riz's idea Um uh, as far as the clips tom it's hard to pick the best parts of this song because almost every line is fire but this is uh probably actually a hey, jeremiah play play the play the 201 part because i think tom will appreciate that so play uh the inspected deck verse. what's
0: this, i out justice. The this just the rudeness. I'm with the Murder one, my style shocks not like a sun gun. I'm hectic, I'm with. Well, the reason I picked
1: that for you, because the original clip that I picked was the who tango so represent. But, because I, I thought you could appreciate a good sweet. But I wanted to pick that one for you because he actually gives a shout out to, to somebody that you have this weird, yeah, to Steven Seagal. Why do you have this weird connection to Steven Seagal?
2: I just think he's just a terrible person. And, you know, he deserves, he's somebody who, the funny thing is, like, you mock somebody and sometimes you feel bad. You know, you're like, I feel bad. I made fun of that person. And then some people you make fun of. And then every year you're like, man, I should give it to that person again. Like they just, every story I've ever heard about Seagal is terrible. And and like the, the, the movies I've done, a few movies, you know, you meet people and, and you go like, who sucks? And everyone's like, no, I don't really talk shit about, I mean, Steven Seagal sucks and they'll tell you a story and you're like, Oh my God. It's like, he he has like just there's so much there that I mean it's it's good natured I don't like you know wish any harm on the guy of course he's, not no I he's just a, feel he's, like he's a ridiculous he's a person joke. yeah living he's a
0: joke ridiculous
2: yeah. person and and he's making ridiculous movies right now they're on, ridiculous they're on Netflix and they look like they're fucking made for a thousand dollars like they're just the craziest shitty movies.
1: I hear the most shit talked about Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I don't know if it's something to do with like quasi martial arts dudes, but they all seem to be dildos.
2: They definitely Um, do.
1: So so first and foremost, everybody kills it on this, but this is such a great song to really showcase Inspector Deck. I feel like he is the most underrated MC out of the nine uh, members. He's constantly having one of the best verses, if not outshining everybody on the song, and it blows my mind that his career never blew up.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he has he has a good career, though. I mean, you know, I think in the world of hip-hop, like, He's definitely celebrated and appreciated for sure some of these guys i mean you know not gonna have the mainstream success that you know like uh a, what a nelly or, you know what i mean they don't they're not making those kinds of songs they're not doing that shit they're like you know these guys are like novelists they're you know what i mean these guys are like poets so for sure um yeah you're not going to see that level of success but i i mean i hear you on it i i What I think about "Bring the Ruckus" too, it's like that's the opening song to this album.
1: Yeah, but even before that, Tom, this is like this is how Wu Tang introduced themselves to the world. They dropped that dialogue from the kung fu film Shaolin versus the Wu Tang. So as so, like you said, as a listener, you're you're starting. You're like, all right, you're used to Tribe Called Quest. You're used to EPMD, where maybe there's a little intro, but nothing like this. It's usually them talking about it.
2: And also, I would say that like the sentiment that you feel and think throughout this album on a first time listening is what the fuck is this? Because it's, it's, it stands out in such a way that you like, if you haven't heard this album and you press play from the beginning, you just go through it, you, you'll you just be like, I've never anything that sounds like. Ever,
1: it. ever. So it's funny that you say that. Um, so there is a point that of them opening up the album with that dialogue. Uh, Jizza is quoted saying, Wu-Tang represents a sword style of rhyming. Being that we are lyrical assassins, we are aware that the tongue is symbolic to the sword. And that is why Wu-Tang is dope, because this is how they introduce themselves with a mission statement for the entire group that we are assassins and we will fuck you up. And I love that.
2: And that feels like, and the album feels like it when the album's over, you go, I think these guys would fuck me up
1: yeah. <laughs> for sure. Have you ever fucked anybody up or, or if not, what's the worst fight you've ever been in?
2: Um, no, I've never had like, I mean, I've had, you know, sports stuff, <laughs>
1: where uh that the sport fucked you up <laughs>
2: sport fucked me up i mean you know like in football and basketball games like you know fights break out things like that um in college we got into like in a like i would say a scuffle in a bar with friends you know but i've never been in like some blowout all out big fight now you ever been,
1: what's what's the hardest you've ever been punched
2: mm, i got jumped in fifth grade by three guys that was 10 years old man somebody brought
1: the ruckus on you jesus christ
2: (laughs) yeah i got kneed in the stomach kicked and punched you know but it was like three dudes but you're 10 years old so i mean looking back it probably wasn't that hard. It probably <laughs> I mean, wasn't bad at all. They were fifth graders too. So <laughs> it wasn't like a, a fucking teacher did it.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, shame on an N word. Huh? Uh, on an N word. Uh-huh. All right. This is the sample from blues and soul musician, singer Sly Johnson's
2: 1960s song. This This fucking beat still is the shit. Like, this is like their version, almost. It's funny because of the title and everything, but it's it's almost like their um, commercial hit. You know, what I mean the 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 beat, like because you could still put it on just the instrumental, and and just you just bop your head. It feels good. It's it's like. I could listen to that instrumental over and over uh, and over. It's
1: phenomenal and 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 we we have to give at least uh, props to Raekwon and Method Man for smashing the verses. But in my opinion, this is an old, dirty bastard song, uh, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah, play the clip. Who's
0: be acting like the gangs anyway? Be like, us, come out and play. Yeah, play yeah. I mean, get into shit, I let it act like, like diarrhea. Got broke once, but that was only gonorrhea. Dirty, I keep shit, stay to my draw, to walk a different funky for you. Murder, chase the flame of the Wu Tang raw. Here comes the tiger first crane. Ow, be like, wow, whip my style. Punk, you play me, jump, you get jumped. That that right there is, that right. is
2: Good. That's amazing And it's also It takes me immediately to that MTV clip Where ODB Takes a limousine To social services To get food stamps And then he talks about getting burnt by gonorrhea Like On camera to like the People it, He's in a limousine picking up food stamps He's like I got burnt by gonorrhea And then he's like I'm lying. I got burnt by gonorrhea twice.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and that is why ODB is my favorite member of Wu Tang Clan. So we sh- we went to go see nine. We went to the nine thirty club in DC to go see uh, Old Dirty Bastard in Brooklyn Zoo. Uh, it's like two thousand, and we show up late, so we're like in the back of the club. It's just filled with motherfuckers. Uh, Old Dirty Bastard gets on stage an hour late then stands there with a bottle of vodka for like 15 minutes, just staring at the crowd and he's not doing anything. And The cheering starts to subside and then he cracks open the top of the, of the Absolute, chugs it, goes right into Brooklyn Zoo and then fights just start breaking out everywhere. ODB is like cheering them on. By the end of the show, they had probably cleared out 40 to 50% of the audience and me and Jer and a few other people are right up front. Uh, I am, everything about, Old Dirty Bastard, I fucking love. I love that he did that MTV thing. I love that he put his his Social Security identification card on his album. And I love that he would, because no other rapper would say they had, sip, had fucking gonorrhea. Yeah. Like, Drake would never do that shit.
2: No, you don't want anyone to know that. But he was like, like, I am the nastiest, grimiest, rawest dude you ever want to come across. And, like, he embraced that. Which yeah. Is, you know, that's, like, endearing in a way.
1: Very endearing. It's yeah. I. I named my my comedy store show Shimmy Shimmy Ya yeah, to honor him because I don't want people to forget how fucking sickly dope he was. So speaking about shame, what embarrassing moment still brings you shame?
2: There's So many.
1: <laughs> What's well, a good one?
2: <laughs> I mean, what brings me shame? Yeah. I mean, I think of like uh, girls. You know, like in like you, you ever like tell a girl you love her, and you're oh yeah, and, you know what I mean like. High school, and she's like, "What?" Nah. You're like, "Oh, <laughs> you're like, like, nah. she's like, nah." That's still, that still showers me with shame. Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Just being like, "I love you." She's like, "Huh?" You're like, I you <laughs> "Nothing."
1: Like, "I mean, you're cool." And you're like, "Yeah." You're like,
2: oh, "Okay." Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, oh God, what else feels so shameful? Did
1: you feel shame in the in the basketball injury from from Bert?
2: No, I mean. First of all, I hate the idea that it's from Burt. He had nothing to do with it. And I beat his fucking ass in that competition. So the uh, – no, I don't feel shame about the injury. What what kills me is when people don't know that I fucking just dunked nine feet before that. And they're like, oh, is this guy trying to dunk and hurt? I'm like, no, no, no. I just won. Yeah. <laughs> I just won the competition. That fucking bothers me. That bothers um, you. I felt oh I felt shame when we played tennis. Yes, that was shameful. Why we played tennis? I I was well, I used to play tennis as a kid. So did Bert. We decided to play tennis, and dude, we get together to play, and he has a legit badass serve, like legit. And I and I couldn't fucking return it, dude. I couldn't return his serve, and I was like, at a certain point, you just resigned to the fact that you're getting your ass kicked. Yeah. And that felt horrible, horrible, tremendous shame. And afterwards I was like, what the fuck was that? And he was like, yeah, I I used to serve pretty good. And then I had a tennis coach there and he goes, that is a division one serve.
1: No, you're fucking kidding me. I swear
2: to God, everything, (laughs) everything hand-eye, he's really good at. So he can throw a baseball. He can hit a baseball really well. He can do a bow and arrow. Uh, he can do like actual nuance changes to his serve. He can, he can, he can do a flat serve. He can do a serve with spin on it. And like, and that's what I've like, he, like he sucked at basketball. Horrible. If you watch us play the two on one, I was like, your basketball is terrible because that's a different type of,
1: he could have won the game for you. He could have won the game for you when you guys were playing that dude, and he fucking chunked the brick.
2: Yeah, dude. So he's not a basketball player. It's a different type of athleticism. But his hand-eye coordination is is definitely above average. But going to the shame, I when we played tennis, I definitely felt shame. I really did. I was like, the
1: Mickey Mantle gene is true, dude.
2: Man, I'm <laughs> telling you. I had to actually just like stop and be like, I cannot believe you're serving like this. It, it actually reminded me of when I was a fr- like this didn't feel shame. When I was a freshman in college, there was a goofy white guy on my hall who was like six, let's say six feet, maybe six one. And he had hair parted in the middle that hung down. So he'd have to like, like flare it out on either side. And he was in my, came down my, he looked like five doors down in the dorm. And he came in my hall, and, we were, and I think he saw a basketball. And he was somehow it came out. And he goes, "Yeah, I can dunk." And I like, get the fuck out of here. And he goes, "No, I can, man." And he had like this goofy drawl, and I was like, "What?" So I was like, "Let's go over to the gym right now." So we go over to the gym. And he's like, "I swear, I swear." I go, "You can, you're gonna dunk." <laughs> and this dude walks up and does a three sixty dunk.
1: <laughs> oh, he fucking Harold Miner
2: did. I was like, "What was that?" He's like, "I told you." I was like, "Do it again." I fucking bam and I was like, oh my god, he didn't play basketball. I was like, what? It was it was unbelievable. I mean the guy had like a fucking forty inch vertical. It was crazy. But he
1: probably had those shoes with that like front part that's like weighted. Remember they used to sell them in the back of sports
2: illustrated? Dude, yeah, of course. Oh, but it was like it was an astonishing thing <laughs> to witness where you're just you can like imagine. Okay. <laughs> like I just I didn't think that was gonna happen, but that's that was pretty cool, dude.
1: There's before seeing that dude dunk in your life and then after seeing him dunk in your Absolutely. life. And then you not it's the same as this record. Yeah, I have never
2: I'd never seen somebody I saw a kid in high school cup a ball under his wrist and do a side dunk like that where I was like, Oh my god. And like I was a freshman, he was a junior. I was like, I'm not fucking playing with that dude. Like that kind of shit. Did but it. I'd never seen This goofy ass white I'd never seen that
1: before Alright well God bless him God bless him and his dunk skills And his white boy dunk skills Alright Clan in the front So this is the first song That puts Killer B's Front and center With the opening And Jizzit just crushes it Best line is right here Peter play it You
0: become so pet As my style increases What's that in your pants All human thesis Throw your shitty drawers In a hamper Next time comes strap With a fucking pamper I you sound Quitter, I'm on the mound, and it's a no header. And my team, Jake, the catcher, he's my man. In the way, he's the one who devised the plan. He throws the signs, and hook up the beat for clout. I throw the rhymes through the mic and I
2: strike him out. The sound of that song, like the way that song sounds, is definitive. Like, that, to me, is how you define this this sound. yeah it's the piano it's It's, that
1: it's that weird angular piano like kind of loop and it's almost it could be you know if you slowed it down it could be in like the background of like a horror movie exactly
2: there's always this like dark tone that kind of comes through where you're like i mean i have to i guess like you know label it like a staten island like like whatever he was feeling but it is the most definitive way to like label this group if you go, what do they sound like? You play the instrumental for Clan in the front, and you're like, that that's the Wu-Tang sound.
1: Yeah, for sure, dude. Uh Beat and Piano Loop, uh, played by Rizza and a sample from Thelonious Monk. And uh Jizza explained how he got his solo spot on this album by saying the guys would be like we can't go after Jizza. He's got to close it. I got kind of tired of hearing that shit. And with eight or nine people on a song, if you go last, you're going to get cut on the video or the mix show. So I told them, we got to switch it up on this track. I'm going first. Um, That's dope. That is so sick, dude. So I want to I want to take this to like comedy uh, world now. So who do you think is the hardest comedian
2: to follow? Hmm. It's not, I mean, it's interesting because- I, that that question changes as you like do stand up for longer because ultimately you realize that you can follow anybody sure um but you know the hardest acts to follow are usually energetic acts that have a good act and yeah. that engage the audience because they'll take people on a ride you know i mean obviously if anybody kills like really kills you're like fuck I gotta follow that right yeah. but that type of energy I mean I've seen I because re, I remember like I went up after Chris Rock one time and I was like and it was pretty early on you know and I was like oh my god and I I, uh, I was like how am I gonna follow Chris Rock they're like your neck I'm, like, I'm fucking following Chris Rock and I did you know like you just you just reset you just go like Hey, you guys. You know, somebody walks in the room. You're like, you fucked up. You just miss Chris Rock, man. And everybody laughs. And then you just, yeah. And then you just do your thing. You know, you gotta like stay on your thing. But I've definitely, um, I've, I've definitely. I'm trying to remember. Like, there was some feature acts that I remember. Like, especially like if they had energy and they did some crowd work, where you're like, oh man, like you could just feel the audience being drawn to their persona and then being like oh this is gonna be like a back and forth and you're like not when i get up there it isn't so yeah uh you know that kind of shit but i mean at the store it's like i mean fuck dude it's just like a lineup isn't of killers it... man like yeah it can, it can be any night and, and like it it also kind of like feels like it can change night to night right like it can be monday or whatever tuesday or wednesday and it's I don't know, you're following Sebastian and, and then Thursday you're following Allie and then Friday it's Rogan. And then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you just like, it just goes person to person. and depends like how the, their set's going, how the audience is. Has there but, ever been
1: one that you were like, that you remember like, I've dude, I, I had to follow this person and it can even be early on. Was there one, some, have you ever been buried prior to knowing how to reset the room?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I remember doing, I can't remember who I followed, I remember I did an East Side, like a proper East LA, comedy like Latin, Latin comedy show in like 2005. Um, I ate my dick so hard, like I ate my dick so hard, I bombed just an extraordinary bomb. And I got off stage and I saw the guy. He was like, like wow, like that sucked, man. I was like, yeah. And I go, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to come back. And he goes, what? <laughs> and he turns to the, another guy. He goes, he wants to come back. <laughs> He's like, this dude's crazy, man. I was like, uh, yeah, I just want to redeem myself. He's like, you think you can? Like, I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I did, you know. He's
1: like, this is your last time on Refried Fridays. You well, out.
2: <laughs> I bombed one time. And I got off stage I was middling I got off stage at 22 and I was supposed to do 25 the lady was like the fuck was that like, you just got off stage and I was like ah, I mean I was sweating I was just bomb so hard and then she goes oh and the other thing I thought you were supposed to be funny I was like Jesus Christ <laughs> and and that I mean when you're middling too and they're telling you that's the manager you're like oh, oh
1: god. god
2: and then the next day I came back and I had a great set And I mean, I had a great set. And I see her, like, she's around the corner when I get up stage, and she goes, how'd it go? And I was like, you fucking know how it went! They're right. There's 300 people in there. What do you mean, how to go? And she's like, oh, is it better? And I was like, shut the fuck up. Fuck, fuck you,
1: bitch. All right. Wu-Tang, Seventh Chamber. All right. So first we get a skit with Raekwon and Method Man arguing about a lost videotape. And then Ghostface and Ugon walk in and tell them about a drive-by shooting. Um, this, this, so this shit
2: too, man. This, their, their sketches were insane. Like when you would hear, you're like, is this how people talk? Like, oh, for sure. Because I well, definitely... Well, god got minimum
1: on his body, God.
2: Yeah. I, I, you know, we'd heard like inner city black slang. You know what I mean? Like in hip hop and movies, in real life, like hear people go back and forth and you're like, oh, that's like its own American culture, right? Black American culture has a whole different diction, lexicon and everything. But that being said... These sketches, when I would hear them, I was like, I've never heard anybody speak like this.
1: Yeah. So everybody, so we could talk about the song, which is great because everybody kills it. And there's so many great lines that you can quote, but I feel like the greatest moment on this song is from that that sket at the beginning. uh JT, play it. Yo,
0: niggas came over to have 40s and blunts. Kid, this shit just came. Come on, out man. I don't mission, got nothing son. to do with my shit, man. Come on, man. Get ahead with that Come shit. Come on, man. i will you yo, more fucking killer. Tics, Open man. the door, hey. man. What the fuck, man? Yo, what? What's up? Yeah, yeah, hey, yo, yo, yeah. yo, yo, God. What is bond Yo, Shaamik just got busted this head two times, God. With the mother. Yeah. Well, life, God. You know Shaamik for fucking two twelve, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nigga just got busted. Niggas in the black land, God. What is bond Came through, God from out of nowhere god what is born i'm coming to get my culture cypher god and they just what is born crazy shots just went the fuck off god the nigga laying there like a fucking newborn fucking baby guy is, is he fucking dead What, what the fuck, fuck you fuck mean is he fucking dead that's yeah. it That
2: yeah. is fucking, and he's like you got all kinds of fucking blood, blood, blood. Blood, blood. blood coming out like yeah. yeah
1: i love that so much dude all right all right moving on to can it all be so simple this is probably my least favorite song on the record.
2: Dude, I talked to, by the way, I talked to Ghost uh, on the phone uh, a few weeks ago, which is a crazy thing.
1: What would you guys talk about?
2: Just fucking bullshit. Like, I was introduced to him, and then I was like, hey, man. And then we're just talking. But he wants to, like, do something. and I was, Oh, you got to like,
1: have him on the podcast, dude. Well, Are definitely you, I want to podcast yeah.
2: with him. But also, like, it was so crazy to be like, I'm talking to Ghostface Killer on the phone right now. You know, that's mind blowing. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's in my fucking phone book. It's just, you know what I mean? Like it's wild.
1: It's, it still blows my mind, you know, as I've worked my way up in my career to to say that I'm friends with some of the people that I'm friends with all people that I've like looked up to when I was a kid. It's just, it's, it's, it's the Bill Burr quote. When I, when we were, we did something really fucking cool. And then he's like, "See what happens, Josh, when you follow your career. Cool shit happens." And I'm just, yeah. like, "Dude, that's so fucking true, dude." Um,
2: so Ken all... Bill Burr in the Mandalorian, man, he killed it. In the season killed it. Killed, that killed episode it. Episode is so good.
1: I haven't watched second season yet, but the oh first season God. he killed it. I'm gonna. I like to wait until they're all done. And no, right no, now, they're, they're all not... done
2: now. They're done. Go, go, go. I know, but
1: I'm at my mom's house, and you know, I can't really get as like, right. high as I want to get and to watch it. Work I will. All right. So, the, <laughs> "Can It All Be So Simple" really showcases uh, the beginning of the long-term partnership of Raekwon and Ghostface. I, we talked about the explanation at the end of the song. We this is some of the best shit because the explanation of who is who in Wu uh, is the best part of this. Peter, play it.
0: It's like this. I'm gonna start from the top. Inspect the deck. He's like, he's like that dude that'll sit back and watch you uh-huh. play yourself and all that, right? Uh-huh and see you sit there and know you lying, and he'll take you to court after that, because he the inspector. That's why he the, and, and also he the rebel that. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And, and Shalore Kwan, he the chef, he cooking up some marvelous shit to get your <laughs> mouth watering. On some okay. old shit Okay then, then, it's, then it's the method man It's like mad different methods To the way I do my shit mm-hmm. You smoke a bean in here I'm telling you, My <laughs> basically method man Is like roll that shit Like that shit Smoke <laughs> it You know what I'm <laughs> saying and, and, and then baby
1: you He, he a psychopath I love that so digger. much Because uh, they knew yeah, yeah. Right from the then jump got, How the to do cause this cause game no Which far is far so funny star. Because all I of us dirty We get into comedy We get into acting Whatever the fuck it is <laughs> And we are just Oh well this is how This person did it So I'm gonna follow that path and being that you've built in a sense this this like empire now of of with the podcast your stand-up your acting and everything but you seem to be doing it solo on your own within your brand so when did you realize you didn't need the industry to find your audience
2: well I mean I, I just feel like things kind of develop slowly and organically you know like when you do stand up, right, you know, you're just, you're grinding away for years. And then you get a special comes out, finds an audience, people react to it. And like, you always kind of, I don't know, I feel like some people either get picked up by like Hollywood or not. And, um, you know, as it progressed, as I kept doing specials and podcasts and developing like a following um, it, it definitely felt like it was outside of the system, like it, it's its own thing. And that became, you know, like after a while I was like, oh, instead of asking, like, can I be a part of this or, you know, will you have me, I'll just put out stuff. And and there's an it seems like there's an audience for what I'm putting out. So like, you know, podcasting, I think it's kind of universally understood now that you go... Hey Amen. Just put it out. Like, be consistent. Put out content. And if there's an audience for it, they'll come back for more, you know, as long as you keep delivering. Stand up, it seems to be like, you know, the only thing that I always think of is like, hold yourself to a, a high standard for like announcing a tour or shooting a special. So, like, I always feel like I don't. I don't, I won't announce I'm doing, I'm doing a big show. I'm ready to shoot unless I feel like, Hey man, like I'm happy with where this is at. Right. And so I think if you're honest with yourself about that and you just keep putting stuff out, you know, if there's an audience that likes what you're doing, they're going to keep coming back for it. Um, And the more that we've progressed with technology, you realize that like some of this shit has completely changed. I mean, I was watching television the other day. I was watching sports, and there was a commercial for a sitcom. And I was like, who the fuck is going to watch this? And then I was like, I don't think I know one person that like will watch this show on this network. Why would they watch this? There's, you know what I mean? And I feel like you go five more years from now, I don't even know if they'll be making shows like that. I really don't. You know. And so we have so much control now. That's the difference. Like we have so much control. Like we can actually go out like these live shows that we're doing make you realize that like you can put on a show and go direct to consumer. And like, if they want to be see that show, like you're doing your own pay-per-view event. I think it's kind of a game changer to be honest. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're directly marketing to fans. And that's something that, I don't know, man, it, it really didn't exist a few years ago.
1: Do you think you would have done those live uh, podcasts with uh, with Bert and Christina if the pandemic ever happened? If it never happened, you wouldn't have done it?
2: I, I can't imagine that it would have come up. I can't imagine. I, I wonder, like, you know, part of your brain goes, well, the, you know, these are successful because people are home. And that, like, I, I wonder, like, I wonder if you could fast forward a year from now, let's say everything is back to normal and you put on an event like that with people still, I don't know. I mean, that's part of like the fun of these things is you experiment. Hey, you want to know it's something crazy uh, uh, a year later and it's even, it's grown. I, I mean, you just don't know. You just don't I, know. I
1: think that, I think the live, your mom's house and the, and the two bears, uh, one cave, I feel like that because because especially with your mom's house, people want to be a part of. They want to be in the room with you, and I think they feel like they're in the room watching those gross ass clips, hearing you guys laugh. They they're laughing with you in in real time, and and that's something that people fucking love. It's like watching a game on delay or watching it live. It's like it's you it is
2: and there's something that here's we figured this. Well, we think this that like so on the on the your mom's house lives when we'll play crazy clips. There is something about watching a crazy clip with a group of people that changes like seeing a clip alone that's gross you're like oh gross seeing a clip that's gross with like a group of people it's like it's a different experience you you're reacting together and it it completely changes the dynamic of it instead of just like throwing a phone and laughing you're you laugh, or you're in horror, but it's together. It's like the community is together, going like, "Are you seeing this guy shit his own balls out?" <laughs> like, it's, everybody kind of celebrates it together. Everybody that I've met, we were talking about this week. Everybody that I've met in the adult industry has been the coolest person that I've met. So he's the nicest guy.
1: I mean, you it's gotta true. have to. You gotta have. To, you gotta be open. You gotta be loving. Sure. You gotta. Your chakras have to be aligned to to be able to to get bukkakeed on. Do you know what I mean?
2: You got to be fucking chill to be like, <laughs> you put be- two dicks in my
1: ass right now. Yeah. <laughs> two. You know what? Put one in the vag too. Yeah. Three.
2: Go Make for three. Hi, right. airtight. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.
3: All right, the mystery
1: of chess Boxing. I think this song uh, has the best verses on the record, uh, especially every opening line to the verse. You have you have you gods raw. I'ma give it to you uh, raw like trivia. Then you got inspected decks while well, I'm a siah. I set the microphone, microphone on, fire. on fire. Yeah, you got Ray very, rough very like-, like
2: Mariah. Come on, man.
1: But then what about uh, Ray? Rough like Timbaland where? Yeah, yeah. Me and, and the clan and you land cruisers out there. But, hey, so but, all, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but once again, ODB steals the show. Uh, Peter, play it. Represent
0: the Juzza. Avid Ruzza. Shock Inspect the deck. Dirty hole getting low with his flow. them the ghost. Face killer. No could get in line. My people saw you with me where you at. In the front, in the back. Killer bees on the tax. People saw you with me where you are. Smoking map, hitting cats on the block with the gas. Speaking of the devil sight, know the guard, get the shit right. Mega trifling, for your I told you in a past life. On the mic while you was taking that fast shit. So it, this, this is
1: based on the Pass, similarly man. titled 1979 Kung Fu movie that connected the intellectual and brutal competitions of chess matches with martial arts. Uh, cool fact: the movie's main villain was the ghost face killer. Also, very interesting fact about this song and with the album in, in itself this is the only track that Mastakilla is on uh he was added after their first single due to his incarceration and novice skills um but yeah that's the should we play a little bit of Mastic? play a little bit of Mastakilla I feel like we got to give him his love <laughs>
0: Homicide's illegal and death is a penalty. One justifies the homicide when he dies in his own iniquity. It's the master of the mantis rapture coming at you. We have an APB on an MC killer. We're I feel Tell like,
1: the like of a since Master Killer only got one verse on this song, he used as many big words as he possibly could. In the, it's like this motherfucker trying to show that he's smart. Like, I'm gonna come flexing hard
2: on this. If I'm getting one verse. Yeah.
1: Uh, what is this song? What do you What do you think about when you When you hear this song? What does well, this, remind I, you of?
2: Th- this reminds me. I always think of you know. I said that like Clan in the Fronts. The 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 instrumental defines the uh, like the Wu Tang sound to me. This song, like this record, "The Mystery of Chessbox," and as a as an actual song, as a track, is like embodies it. It's the introduction for me because I feel like I think this is the first video they ever put out. It's the introduction to them, and, and of course, like you're saying, all these lyrics, the instrumental itself the combination to them, you go like, you know, it, de- it defines the sound like this song makes you go like, who are these guys?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is what I think this song, I, I don't know if I, if I, I might set it coming up later, but I, I feel like if you're going to put on a Wu-Tang song for somebody that's never heard Wu-Tang, like this is one that I would be like Oh well this is kind of like This kind of like represents everything Wu-Tang is Cause totally. it's got ODB popping off It's totally. got all the, everybody's killing their verses um, If you don't maybe, like
2: this song, you don't like Wu-Tang
1: Not at all, Yeah, completely yeah. uh, Alright, then we go into Wu-Tang Clan Ain't nothing to fuck with uh, This is the Wu-Tang calling card yeah. RZA crushes it, Meth crushes it But once again, Inspector Deck Destroys this shit, uh, Peter play it
0: the cake
1: One of the uh, distinct samples on this song that I had no idea is where they got it from is from the 1960s cartoon Underdog. Did you know that?
2: No, I did not.
1: Do you want to hear it? Here, sure. Play, the, uh, play a little taste of the Underdog clip. It should be, I sent it to Peter.
0: When criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and fight all who see or hear the cry goes up it's my favorite
2: thing about It's my favorite thing about producers is like picking their brain in hip hop. I'm saying, and being like, Oh, for sure. They, they can hear one little thing
1: and be like, Oh, that's a song. Just loop that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you, because this song is kind of like a war chant. What makes you rage with anger?
2: Like in, in real world, what makes me rage with anger? Or in
1: fake world, in, in Tom Segura world. I mean, what pisses you off?
2: Trying to think of it like. Thought I was going to kill this guy last year when I was on tour. Really? Yeah, this waiter. He was so do? disrespectful to me that I was like, I think I'm going to take this plate and break it over the back of his fucking head. You know what did he do? He was a cunt. He was a little fucking okay. cunt. And okay. The way he spoke to me, like the level of disrespect, and that he fucking he dropped this plate in front of me that was supposed to be salmon and it was just a piece of paper with salmon in it. And I was like, and I stood up and I started following him. Like he was walking to the back of the restaurant. I was like, I'm going to throw him out the back door and stomp on his fucking neck in the stairwell. And then I thought better. I was like, you're going to go to jail.
1: You're going to go to jail. Yeah.
2: You know what I did? Cause it was a restaurant in a hotel. Mm-hmm. I immediately went up to my room, got, got on my bags and checked out of the hotel.
1: Good for you.
2: And they were like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, I told them." I was like, so "I'm leaving, so I don't kill your fucking waiter."
1: Did you did you complain like to management? Yeah, yeah. That?
2: He was like, "Hey, man." The manager was like, "I'd love to buy you a drink," at the bar. I was like, "I don't want a fucking drink." And he was like, "When well, I go, who the fuck? How do you have a guy like this working in your restaurant, man?" He was like, "So he was such a little shit," you know. I I so remember him being like totally dismissive, uh, aloof. And, like, you know, you always grant people, like, a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. But it just kept building. And the way he would, like, ignore me. And, like I said, he, he threw a plate with a piece of paper that had salmon in it on me. And I was like, does this guy have it out for me or something? You know, I mean, I, I was so enraged.
1: And you never got to the bottom of it, why this guy would do that.
2: No, I, 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 I was like, so what is, what is the deal exactly? You know and 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 like because i was as i was leaving i remember the bartender i was like he was like i don't know he's like i don't i'm sorry i don't know and i was like okay i was like i'm leaving i'm definitely leaving here good for you yeah good for you
1: dude fuck yeah me, but please. i was i
2: mean i was i was having really a lot of fantasies
1: do you want to do you want to tell us what city and hotel it is so we can tell people not to go in there
2: no i don't think it's a good idea okay <laughs> I don't think it's a
1: good idea. okay okay cream that's a good idea cream
2: dude and this this is a an anthem still and this is probably something that speaks to why it resonates with so many people to this day um as a group and as a song i mean that's a very relatable track cash rules everything around like you know when you heard that I think hearing the acronym, it almost, like, you felt like you were solving a riddle, right? Even though, like, they tell you right away and you're like, oh, yeah. And and the the lyrics in this are incredible, the theme. And, like, that's a very American and hip-hop driven uh, narrative, you know? Get get that money, dude.
1: But what's funny, and it's funny that you're saying that, because whereas hip-hop now is all about getting that money, it's like that's their whole mission statement is, you know, like 21 Savage, like, I got one, two, three, four, five, six commas in my bank account. Like, this is – because at the time – it's you have public enemy that's more revolutionary. Yeah. You have you have De La Soul and, and Tribe Called Quest, which are more like PM Dawn esque, and you know you know you got to love your brother and you got to love one another. And you and also like,
2: had in hip hop in this era. This is coming out of the era of I'm nice, like I have skills. That was like a big thing. Is like you know talking about how how dope you are as an MC. It was about like you know Rakim and Kane and guys like that know how to just like spit lyrics. You know, and they're like, I can beat you on the microphone. But now it's shifting into like, I'm fucking rich, dog. I'm rich. And this
1: is money before everybody's talking about it. So originally conceived in 91 as Lifestyles of the Mega Rich before being reworked uh, into what I would call a bonafide hip hop classic. Uh, They're using the Charmels 1967 As Long As I've Got You sample. Kills Some it. of the strongest opening lines Ever about survived Peter, do you have a little taste of that?
0: I grew up on the crime side The New York Times side Staying alive was no job Had second hands Moms bounced on old men So then we moved to Shallon land A young dude you're the the go to Low goose Only way I begin to to York Was drug loot And let's start like this, son Bowling with this one And that one Pulling out gats for fun But it was just a dream For the team Who was a fiend so what's so powerful
1: about this song And and, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong But it's not only about Teen poverty and hood life It's also a message To the upcoming generation Not to fall into the things that he did mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like this is, this is them giving advice To their listeners yeah. Which is like, listen, get the money But do not get into drugs Do not do that shit yeah. So I wanted to ask you What's the greatest advice you ever got?
2: Oh my God, man. I don't know if I could just cite the greatest advice I ever got, but I do think there's something along, it's something along the lines of listen to yourself. You know, like there's a whole thing about trusting your own instincts that I think some people take to intuitively and really strongly. Some people have a lot of doubt, you know? And so I, I, um, I try to listen to myself like, you know, you make calculated and thoughtful decisions, but trusting if, you know, I feel like I can trust a lot of my instincts. And so, Has there ever been an instinct
1: that, that you were right about? Like, is there, is there a moment you were like, maybe it's a deal or something that just was like you, but you went with you like, my, everybody's saying do this, but my heart's saying this. And I did that. And it actually worked out.
2: I mean, a number of times, yeah, a number of times, you know, um, I, I, I think it's like a lot of the decisions I've made are have been, um, I just feel like this is the right thing to do. I mean, it can be from, it can be from like not working with somebody anymore. Um, it can be from like saying no to what, to something that somebody thinks you should say yes to. And I'm like, I don't think it's right. I don't want to do it. And, uh, ultimately feeling validated that it was the right decision. Um, I mean, it can even be little things like, nope, I don't want to add a show there. I don't want to. It just feels wrong. Like lit. Like there seems like, and then you kind of get there and you're like, that was, I don't know, that was the right decision. Um, it can be like hiring. You know, hiring people is a very, that's a, That's a. there's, there's a resume and then there's like, you know, I, like I'm very proud of like the staff we have because I feel like I really, assembled an amazing staff it's like a weird thing to be proud of but i i i feel like a big part of our staff and like the success we've had is like intuitively knowing that's a good that's egg. that's the right
1: person yeah that's a good egg. yeah completely agree with you all right you know who else is a good egg method man because that's the next song
2: uh so this is uh and I, I met meth i'll tell you that story next. okay
1: okay um so this is it's also the third song on here to use a sample from Melvin Bliss synthetic substitution. The hook is lifted from Hall & Oates 1984 song Method of Modern Love. I thought this was really cool when I found this fact. There's a rumor that Riza had a rap battle to see who would get a solo song. Uh, but meth recalls Riza playing him a new beat inspired by Michael Jackson's cover of the Beatles come together he recorded before anyone else got there here play uh play the 255. I got that bad to strong- You could kind of hear the cadence of the, so- the Beatles song come together. Something that I found even later was that this, that rap battle that, that Rizza would have the MCs do to get a verse on their song or on a song, uh, it was the inspiration for uh, Meth vs. Chef off of Tacal. Really? And that was just an actual rap battle that they did. And then they were like, well, let's just fucking use that anyway.
2: Um, I know
1: that. 100% Meth deserved this song on the record.
2: You knew a star was born you knew it like you're because you're also like you know we we know these guys better now but when you're listening to this album first second third time you're trying to put together who these nine guys are like you hear this then you're like oh like this is this is this guy i know now like oh yeah you know like his his lyricism his cadence uh I'm, i mean i definitely credit him with me getting more into it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, "Oh, maybe if you smoke a lot of weed, you could be like Method Man. Like, this is great. Like, this is, I mean, he made it for me very cool to be fucking high all day, you know? Like, I I, I thought that was the goal.
1: He's the Method Man. Like, I, I he's not my favorite uh, MC in Wu Tang. It's all dirty bastard, 100%. But there's, there's something. In this song that Meth does, that just, it, you cannot not be a fan of his. The way he's like, bubba, doo, bubba, ski, bubba, doo, bubba. he's using these weird words yeah. in it and just his throughout the whole, play and like everything.
2: He was also, uh, it's funny. He has like jokes in there and he's also like, I'll fucking kick you in the throat. Like he's, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but then, and then this is probably my favorite part of this song is the intro. Uh, Peter, play three seconds in.
0: Fucking, I'll fucking tie you to a fucking bedpost with your ass cheeks spread out and shit, right? Put a hanger on a fucking stove and let that shit sit there for like a half hour. Take it off and stick it in your ass slow, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll <I'm> fucking... <laughs> yeah, fucking lay your
2: nuts
1: on What's going through your head as, a, as, I don't know, what are you, 13, 14 yeah. years old? Like, you hear something like that.
2: Dude, I, I was like, this is fucking. I remember being like, this is amazing. This is terrifying. This is hilarious. Like, you know, I, because again, no one was doing that kind of sketch where they're like, I'll, I'll cut your eyelids off and feed you nothing but sleeping pills. I was like, holy fuck. Like, <laughs> that's a crazy thing to say, you know? Sold your insane. asshole, clothes and keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. I was like, this shit is wild. That's the thing is that it, that those sketches and saying those things totally contributed to making you feel like you're in another dimension, you know, like that. And a lot of sketches too. It's like, even now, you know, you hear sketches and songs, and you're like, man, I wish we could re-release this album without the sketches. But (laughs) these sketches, that one, I remember just every time that came on, I would listen to it. I was like, that's fucking wild. It's so sadistic.
1: So sadistic. And, and what I find to be funny is it's like you said, nobody's doing that on any other record. And it's out of this is such a dope ass song. And that's what sticks out to me. Completely not dismissing how dope the song is, but that to me is what is the best part of it because it really shows the personality of Riza, the personality of Raekwon, and this 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 like really like friendship between them. You can tell they're having fun. So that brings uh my my thoughts of of your connection to this is that you play a lot of gross shit on your mom's house and it's great dude it's fucking great
2: yeah.
1: uh where did that love for the nasty shit come
2: dude i've always la- i've all yeah, everyone has like buttons shit you know and things like i could talk about anything like poop related to Christina, my wife and she laughs right like you just uh, like you mentioned a fart or a shit and you're like and it doesn't like i can laugh at that stuff but it doesn't automatically make me laugh but what all, always has automatically made me laugh is like sex related jokes or you know what i mean like yeah when people talk about sex or show videos or something like it's always been i mean i'm sure there's some rooted childhood trauma that is is, is the reason why but i've always been drawn to like I've also always been drawn to getting a reaction. Like I love seeing somebody react, you know, like, and I loved it when I was a kid uh, from my mother, like, cause she was always mortified, horrified by things.
1: Oh, I thought she was like, Tom, look at this. No. This guy's going to shoot his, his testicles no. out of his ass.
2: She wants nothing to do with that. And, and I think that's always made me be like, Oh, I want to, sh- I want to get that reaction from more people. I want, I want more people to be like, that was gross. Um, I like it. I like, but I I don't like just like being like, oh, I love to grow somebody out. I love seeing genuine reactions, you know? So it's like, you like making, of course I love seeing people laugh, but seeing somebody be like, oh no, like that's always made me laugh, you know? And I think it's definitely rooted in the fact that my mother is like not a fan. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah dude I when when we were sending back and forth all the wood shit like I sent my mom one of those uh one of the original things thinking like because I know she's gonna click on it because she's fucking dumb like that and I send it to her and immediately she sends back how could you send that to me like who is he? and of course she's like who is he <laughs> Like, she wants to know
2: I so I showed my mom some really gross stuff you know and uh like I still I pull back but I'll show I'll show her some shit that's inappropriate and she was like how could you do this to your mother and i'm like it's fun it's fun to upset you You yeah (laughs) i I just i enjoy seeing you upset (laughs) is there is
1: there what's the worst thing that you showed her you think that you're like still kind of like fuck man i can't believe i showed my own mom that
2: um it's probably something on like that first or second ymh live i covered her i made her look away and certain things i knew would be unforgivable yeah, but it's probably something on there. I don't recall. I don't remember what it is, but I, you know, the funny thing is I like to tell my mother gross things. Like I'll even, I'll be like, oh, do you know what happened? And I'll be, she'll be like, what? I'm like, so one of my friends was having anal sex and she's like, I don't want to hear this. So I'm like, no, 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 it's a pretty good story. And, and so what happened is his penis ruptured this lady's colon and she'll be like, what? And then I'm like, I'll just keep, I'll just keep telling a story that she goes, I don't want to hear about it. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. So what happens is some of her shit actually leaked out and she's like, please. And I, so I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just keep, keep going, you know, like, so I just, and sometimes it's completely made up. It's just to see her go, no, I don't want to hear it.
1: And was the, was the fart real when you caught that, that fart of, that's really, that's 100% your mom's fart, not
2: doctored. 100% authentic. Yeah. I mean, God. Damn. It was magic. It was magic.
1: You 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 show up with the camera a million other times. You'll never be able to get that fart. No, and I've heard like her that. fart
2: like that, you know, a thousand <laughs> times. And I asked her like right before, I was like, "You think you got one in you?" And she literally turns to the counter, puts her hands on the counter to brace herself, and thank God for iPhones because I reach in my pocket, pull it out. You know, you can press the camera button. So like immediately, I just hit video, and it's like it was a gift from God. I mean, like two like maybe one and a half seconds after i hit record it starts it goes on for no, it's a nine second fart and she turns and you can see her face she's like it's the best man
1: nine second fart dude that's the name of your next comedy uh record dude that's fucking dope
2: she made me give her so much shit to for permission i was like i gotta play this and she was like absolutely not and i was like what do you want when i had to buy her like First class round trip ticket to Vegas, gave her like a couple thousand dollars in cash, put her up in a hotel. And then she was like, I want a bag. I had to buy her a bag. And then she was like, I want a bag to match that bag. I was like, the fuck, man? For
1: one part. <laughs> yeah, but you don't, come on, man. You know, light, you only catch lightning in a bottle once. It was pretty you special. Can't, you can't do that twice. All right. Uh, tears. So this is the first Wu-Tang song recorded, despite it only featuring RZA and Ghostface Killah. Uh, this song uses elements of Wendy Renee's 64 hit after laughter comes tears and this was released as a b-side on protect your neck um RZA and ghostface give examples of what goes around comes around in the streets by recounting tragic tales of fun and laughter uh, and laughter can flip in a moment into violent events uh this is the best part uh Peter play
0: 217 I said and practice safe sex He seemed to ignore I said be for real She's not even worth it To go, Lord dear A man's gonna do What a man's gonna do He got butt neck And it's stuck The power you 20 minutes went by I'm my mouth Without a doubt I'm not pumping up I am airing
1: out Hey, yo He came out laughing With glory I'm surprised He's still living to tell us. I story. just love I just love the that They're about to run train And like they the be are being
2: responsible. responsible Hey, we should where A gun
1: uh how does this what, what do you think about this song? what are your thoughts
2: the to me the what I take from this song still is that the tone just makes me feel sad it has a sad tone to me, so like that's a lot of times like I hear songs and I hear lyrics, but the lyrics sometimes become like an instrument and the the to me it's like a it's like a sad ballad to me
1: sure, sure so being that this song is about laughter and tears let's talk about scary moments what's your scariest moment
2: the scariest moment of my life sure i mean i've definitely been in like some dangerous situations you know like i don't know buying drugs and uh you know just being like different parts of the world buying
1: but yeah, buying drugs
2: out of the United States is scary as fuck, dude. I mean, even in the United States, I mean, I bought it. I remember buying drugs in D.C. once. I, was, I mean, when I say drugs, I'm talking about weed, you know? Weed, but I'm saying, yeah. Like, when you're you're young, you're like just being like go, going with strangers. Like I used to joke about it, but, you know, I remember being in college in Carolina and just like getting some dude's pickup truck and then you're just driving 30 minutes. There's, the as shit... I bought weed in North Africa. That was that was crazy <laughs> because I bought it in a Muslim country, and you know you go back and you're like, you dumb motherfucker, like you know that could have gone so sideways. And it also wasn't weed. And it you get like, busted
1: there, it's fucking. You'll go to jail for like 50 years. They'll beat on your feet with spatulas. Like it's midnight. Express. Oh, dude,
2: it would have been. It would have been fucking. Yeah, I mean that's scary. And there's like scary events you know um i mean i od'd when i was a freshman in college and like you know you look back on that and you're like that was fucking terrifying you know like you don't remember like the moment of passing out but just when you kind of come out and you're in the icu and you're like oh my god like you know scary shit car accidents shit like that you've been in a car accident and you're like fuck that's that can be terrifying I don't know. What's yours? What's your scariest moment?
1: So I was in downtown LA after I got, cause I would have said the car accident where Angelo died in it. I would have said, I would have said that, but that wasn't, cause it was always like, it was, it was scary. And I wouldn't say call it called the scariest moment of my life because I'd ever feared for my life. Once I came to, um, I knew I was going to be fine, but Few months after that, I was, I was, I had been on opiates and then I got off opiates and it just happened to coincide that the first few days of the sobriety were right around Angela's birthday. So I was like, fuck it. I can't be so, I can't be sober. I have to get high. And I met somebody in downtown LA trying to buy Oxycontin like two weeks prior and she gave me her number. And so I called her. And then she was like, all right, call this number and this guy will meet you uh, to buy some pills. And so I call the guy and he's like, yo, and I'm like, yo, so I want some oxys. He's like, well, listen, I only sell $700 worth uh, or more. I don't sell like under that. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not buying that. And I hang up. But then I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to take that much. So I call the guy back and he's like, all right, meet me here. I go and get the cash from the bank and I go downtown. And when I go downtown, I'm literally like, it's like a scene from new Jack city, Tom, like there's a fucking trash can on fire and people like warming their hands. And it's like 75 degrees out too. So I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and the dude is like right in front of me. And just like you said, you have those moments where you're like, I'm you're like, I know I shouldn't be here. Like this is bad. But then the drug addict side of me is like, well, let's just stick around and see how this shit plays out. The dude smokes crack in front of me. First of all, like hits the rock. Then he goes. He walks up with some in, and I'm like, "That's not. Uh, that's not Oxys. That's And He goes, "Oh yeah, my bad." He's like, "Hold up, that's my boy right there." And then I follow him on Sixth Street in Los Angeles, and there's a dude that walks up to him to hand him something that looks like Steph Curry. I always remember it that. wasn't, but it was it wasn't. not Steph Curry. <laughs> it was not Steph. Uh, wasn't even Seth. It wasn't, it was neither of the brothers No curries. and, and no curries, and, and the guy pulls out more Norco's and I'm like, dude, that's not oxy's. And I go to turn to walk away. And the, the black dude that I went to meet got right in front of me. And he's like, nah, man, he's like, just wait right here. And then the Seth Curry dude starts, just puts his arm around my neck and starts choking me. And they, I'm wearing a, a skull cap and they pull it over my eyes. And the dude that's choking me is like, you gonna die. You gonna die, motherfucker. And then I'm just like, please, God, just, you know, I can't breathe. And I'm trying my best to to fight it off. And at that point, they start reaching at my pockets, start ripping my pockets. And they grab, I had like, cause I worked at the strip club that day. I think I had like $30 in ones in the front pocket. Little did they know that I had the $700 broken up into two pockets on my jacket in the, so they didn't even check that. But eventually I elbow the guy and I'm able to run away. That's and I got terrifying. Like, That's terrifying in downtown LA, but here's the best part. I went to my car, I got my fucking gun and I killed those motherfuckers. Jesus Both Christ, of them dude. dead.
2: You had you had me for a second when you like, <laughs> <I know. laughs>
1: <"That> was, <laughs> no, but the whole story is true up until that, that ending part. Actually, what I did was I called another dealer and I went to meet him, and he had Oxys.
2: It was great, dude. I was on Oxys from uh, December second, yeah. to the thirteenth, and I just got off myself. You know, I just uh-huh. I don't want to take them anymore. I was on a lot of them, like when I initially broke everything. You know, like oh, right yeah. on the clock. So, like the fourteenth. I'm um, not taking any and I just start crying and there and I was like what's going on and they're like oh you're having withdrawals I'm like so I'm just crying and they're like yeah you're gonna you're gonna feel kind of sad today <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay and then the next day I was like I'm still crying a lot of shit and they're like yeah that's fine <laughs> I was like okay
1: when did you start feeling better day three
2: um of the uh, yeah I think the, the like the the emotional stuff kind of stopped three or four days later yeah.
1: Did did you have a moment like while you were on it? Like I never want to come off this shit. This feels so good. Did you have that kind of like?
2: No, because I think for me it was more like they um, they would give them to me. Like, are you in pain? Yeah, and then you just take them, and I'd still be in pain. It, it was more like this is just maintenance stuff, you know. Yeah, and it was like, hey, it's bedtime. It just felt like I was taking something like regular like. By the time I got off of them, my pain wasn't as bad, you know? So I, I felt, that's why I was like, yeah, I'm not in that much pain. I can, I'm all right now. But um, I didn't expect that I would get all emotional. I mean, I was like watching commercials and crying. You know, I'd watch like a fucking, I don't know, some video online, shared cry, <laughs> you know? You listen to
1: this record and you're like, <laughs> Oh yeah. <"I> have to. <laughs>
2: nurse would bring me food. And I was like, thank you. I'll cry at
1: that. Opiates, everybody. If you've yep. never done them, you got to try them, especially yep. fentanyl, but yep. you're not going to, you're going to want to do it multiple times.
2: lauded. That's the yeah. shit,
1: dude. I'm telling you, ask Sickler about coming to see me in the hospital uh, when I was on Delotted, because he came to visit me, and it's it's just I don't want to tell the whole story here because it's too long. But dude, it's yeah, it's the shit, the best. It's, it's the, the best. Sh- Dilaudid, dude, proud sponsor of the five hundred. Delotted.
2: Delotted
1: All right. I'm not, not taking away from the next two songs, but I don't really feel like there's worth there's any info really worth diving into. You have uh Wu-Tang seventh chamber part two, which is basically clan in the front, but a remix, uh, which is a good song. And then you have conclusion, um, where the album ends with praise from an interviewer, which I do like that. I love that they end the record, uh, with this interviewer praising them and, uh, you know, he's talking about how he's only heard and seen their video. And when he asked them to explain their style, a kung fu snippet replies, it's a secret. Never teach the Wu-Tang. And then a quick loop of protect your neck. Uh, I got to ask this, too, before we jump into facts and then speed questions, because uh, when you finally showed me the, uh, the Shaka Souffle clip, which dude? I I laughed so fucking hard. Saka souffle. I know, but you wrote it, but you but and the clip's labeled Shaka souffle. I didn't
2: write that. Someone fucked that up.
1: So and so, what question do you get asked the most in interviews?
2: In interviews, um, what do I get asked the most? I don't know, man. For a while, they'd be like, "Oh, you're married to a comedian. Do you guys make each other laugh all day?" And you're like, "That's like, the, I mean, that's like one of the common ones, you know." Uh, most interviews that you are in are pretty much like they, it's like they go through your bio, you know. Yeah. It says here you were born here. Do you like it there? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. That's Florida. To, yeah, yeah. Like you're from Cincinnati. Have you ever been to it? and you're like I haven't been there in a long time. And you're like, okay. What why do you oh, that you know, how'd you get into comp? That's like that's the shit where I'm like, "Hey, can we wrap this up, man?"
1: Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the worst interview you've you've ever done, and if you can if you can if you can say it, besides this one,
2: (laughs) this is good. The worst I've ever done. I don't know. I I do remember. I always remember this. Like one time I was in Hartford, and I get in the radio station, and they're like, "Oh, sit over there." I was like, "Okay," and then they go, "Okay, now come in over here," and the guy's like writing something down. He's got a co-host. He's like, all right, we'll be back in like 30 seconds. So just like do your thing. And I was like, do what thing? He was like, just, you know, take over. And I was like, I wasn't planning on it. He was like, I'm sorry. And then like the clock is like ticking down, you know, he's like, no, I mean, just like do, do whatever you want to do. I was like, I'm going to wait for you to ask me something. He goes, well, what do you want me to ask you? I was like, whatever you want to know. And he was like, it's like 15 seconds. He's like, no, I mean like this is your time to shine. Like just be funny. And I was like, "Well, what are you going to ask me?" And he's like, "What do you want me to ask you?" And I was like, "I don't have any pre-set <laughs> questions for you." And he's like, "Look, man, like last week there was a guy in here, you know, he got naked." And and like, and I go, "How'd that work on radio?" And and it was like 5 4 that he was like, "Okay, uh we're back." And <laughs> I had a bio at the time that said that like I turned down NFL offers. Like it was a total joke bio. Yeah. And he started reading that and asking me about the NFL. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, a... And so I just, you just I went with it. I just I went know. with it, but it was seeing him, like seeing radio guys panic when you don't give, like another time I stopped in and they were like, all right, what do you want him to ask you? I always would say the same thing. I'd be like, oh, whatever he wants to ask. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, what do you want him to ask you? So that, like, you can have like a funny, you know, like do one of your bits. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really do that. And they were like, um, and one time they sat me in a room and they brought the host in. And he was like, Hey, they said that you don't want me to ask you anything. I said, no, I don't. I didn't say that. They asked me what you want, like what I wanted you to ask me. And I go, I don't have anything that I want you to ask me. So just ask me what you want to ask me. And he was like, okay, but like, what's going on in your life right now? And I'm like, do you, is that what you want to ask me? And he was like, sure. Like, do you have kids? And I was like, I got one on the way. He's like, there's something. I'm like, great, man. I love fucking working this out with you. <laughs> like, cause I hated doing, I'd done the, the shows where they're like, do your bits. Yeah. I did those for like, three years or something like and i always reluctantly did them and then one day i was just like oh i won't do that yeah and then a couple shows were like what do you mean you won't do that i was like i don't want to do that i'm not doing that it's like back to your instincts thing i was like oh yeah yeah i was like i don't i i have learned that i don't like the way it makes me feel to do that so if you if you're saying that i have to do that i would like to leave and they're like oh oh, okay no we don't (laughs) have to do that and you're like okay
1: Okay. Cool. So tell me about your football career. Did they, yeah. What teams turned you down? You're like,
2: motherfucker. Yeah, oh my God, ridiculous.
1: They called me the Pat Tillman of my age. Yeah. All right, you want to do some facts and we'll get you out of here? Sure, man, yeah. All right. In 1992, Riza asked each member to put in $100 to record their first single, Protect Your Neck. All they raised was $300, which several members had to pay for in quarters um what's the brokest you've ever been
2: like right before i got married right after i got married so broke we were living in the rampart division which for people that don't know is a horrible part of los angeles and i lived like just around the corner from macarthur park which they used to call a heroin park mm-hmm. and um it was a shitty apartment a shitty neighborhood and I mean, we would, you know, I quit a job to do stand up full time.
1: What was the job?
2: Post production. I was a post coordinator on reality. Oh job. wait,
1: Yeah, I remember that because that was is that when you you farted in the in the booth with you and Ryan and.
2: Well, I probably had that job at that time, but yeah, that was when we went to press DVDs of Cutman. But but I mean, I remember being like, you know. When you're featuring you make $100 a show, you go like, okay, that's, you know, what is that? $2,400 a month. Like, yeah, if you have four weeks of workbook. So I remember like, you know, you'd have like maybe one or two weeks. So you're like, I'm making $1,200 a month maybe at best. And then trying to supplement. But like, I can't get a good second job because then it won't allow me to keep doing this. And, you know, we would just try to make money last and did a lot of Trader Joe's shopping, a lot of frozen food that you'd microwave. And I remember one, I remember the, like a few years later, I got my first round of like 15 offers to headline clubs. And the offers were for $1,200 for the weekend. So I worked like 11 weeks in a row, right? Every week. So that's three months in a row. Had a week off. I think I did like nine weeks after that. Got back, had no more offers. And within a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm broke. I just headlined like 20 clubs at the biggest clubs in America. And I have to go get a job. And I had to go get like a part-time job. You know, I mean, that wasn't the brokest. The brokest was definitely before, before that. that. But yeah. then it just made you realize you're like, I am working as a headliner, and I have to go get a job right now. And
1: you're because. making dick, yeah, dude. So
2: so broke, man. So like, broke. It fucking sucks being broke. Fucking sucks. It does.
1: But I feel like any person that's going to be – especially a comic, you have to go through that broke period. If you don't – because you – and it's and it's also you can never forget about it because if you forget about it, then then you don't appreciate any of the shit that you have when you have it. One of the things that I always do is I haven't DJed at the strip club in over five years, but when I'm doing a show – in like in like Irvine or San Diego and I'm driving up the 5 if I if I do this every once in a while I just stop by the old strip club just to pop in get a couple lap dances but also just to remind myself that 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 where I came from and if I if I don't keep working hard I could go back to that so so yeah dude
2: Yeah dude no I mean I look back on the poorest I was I tell you sometimes I meet you know people in their 20s and they'll be like ask me about career stuff right and i'm like yeah but i go i look back and i go even though i remember that sucks to be broke i go actually look back fondly on the on struggling times remembering shitty bar shows i'm saying and getting 50 bucks and feeling like i got 50 bucks to do that show and you know what i mean like really appreciating those years in in the like scheme of things
1: those are the most fun like, it's the success is great, I, and I love it. I love being able to hang out with the comics that I look up to and being friends with them. I love being able to perform at these incredible places. But, dude, when when we were broke, all sharing a sampler at Norm's, and that was our food for the day, that was the best. So, he, so here's the flip side of that. This is a second fact. So Shame on an N-Word was one of over 300 songs that sampled Sly Johnson's Different Strokes. Really? That new... Yeah. That new popularity not only brought Sly out of retirement, but also paid him hefty royalties. And in 2010, he said his house, quote unquote, was built with the Wu-Tang money. What was the first big thing you bought with some real money?
2: Hmm. I mean, I remember I got Christina a Mercedes truck um, like as uh, like when she was needed a, a truck. And I remember, I remember just not having like that panic Um, when I started to make money. I started to make like good money around uh, 2014, 2015, you know, where I was like, oh, like before it was like, can we get to uh, a certain number by the month to take care of the next month? And for like the first time I had like excess you know, and I and I remember being like, oh, we we can move, we can go like, we can go look for a house, and Christina was like, how are we gonna do that? And I was like, well, we have some money now, and she was like, no, we don't. And then I showed her like a bank statement. She was like, oh my god. And I was like, yeah, I've been selling a lot of tickets, um, and yeah, I mean, it it wasn't like so much a like uh. I can't remember, like I said, the truck. I remember taking a vacation and just being like, oh, you go to the spa, you can book like eight treatments and we'll eat out at all the best restaurants every night and not being like, how will I pay for it? Because I remember taking a vacation when I couldn't afford it and then realizing like a couple months later, like, I'm still paying off this fucking thing. Yeah. Because it's so stupid of me <laughs> to book this vacation. Why'd you have
1: have, to have lamb every meal? God damn.
2: And you're like, (laughs) and like that, that's such a, like a mental weight when you're like, I got to pay this fucking thing off and, and feeling like we could go on a vacation and not have, like, just be like, enjoy yourself. Like do everything you want to do, buy what you want to buy. You know, I mean, you're not, you're just going to buy, like I said, you know, food, drinks and, and not feel stressed. That was a huge relief. It's, the best. Oh, yeah, it's that, the best. that took a long time to get to that feeling. You know,
1: do you still get stressed sometimes? And now you're like, "Fuck that shit."
2: No, I don't get like stressed. Cause I make so much money now, but I, um, I still, I still remember. You know, to, now it feels like a competition. Like once you're once you're making money, it's like I feel like we're playing a game. So like the, it's not like, it's not about like, I need money to, to buy things. It just feels like we're playing a game, like a board game or something. And I'm like, Oh, I, if I did this, this, and this, like, I like, I like the game of the business side. Of, yeah. Of, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. For, no, like, I what if we
2: go, oh yes. And then that worked out. And so I always like to look at it like it's like, it's a competition.
1: It's like Tetris. It's just fitting it all just evenly, and yes. you're like, oh, and then you, when you get that that full stack and it clears out that big chunk, you're like, there you go, into the yeah, back and account. and it
2: just feels like um like seeing like seeing money come in, it feels like a like a like a video game or something. You're just like, awesome. Now what what next? Because you want to like keep building it, but it's not about like I want to buy a thing because you buy some things, you know, like. Buying like, I don't know, like a Rolex or something. You're like, that's cool. And then, I don't know, a, a little while later, you're like, yeah, I mean, it's a watch. I don't know. Yeah. You you realize that it doesn't actually give you... Happiness. Yeah, that much satisfaction. Like It's actually chasing the thing that was fun. And you're like, I got the thing now. And then you have it and you're like, okay, that's cool. But it's it's not that fulfilling, I don't think, you know what I mean? Like I even, I like cars, but like you, know, you drive a car and like, I mean, there's some cars that I'm like, man, I, that's a, I, I feel like a romanticized connection to this car. Yeah. But even ultimately with that, like that, that's not the most fulfilling thing. You know? It's not stuff. is stuff. Isn't
1: stuff is not fulfilling, but it's fucking dope to buy it.
2: It's cool to buy it. Yeah. Oh,
1: then, the feeling it's like, it's like Dilaudid.
2: It's a little bit like the, especially if it hurts a little bit.
1: Just a little bit. If you're yeah. like, that is a
2: lot
1: of fucking money. And then you're like, that feels good. And then, you, then you're like, ah, oh, that's fucking dope. Yeah. All right. Photographer Daniel Hastings first met the clan after a gig in Atlanta, Georgia, where they bum rushed another group set in stocking masks and took over the stage.
2: Oh my God.
1: That's crazy. So insane. When it was time for Hastings to shoot this album cover, You God, Method Man, and Mastakilla pulled a no-show. So remembering that gig, Hastings told the remaining six to wear the stockings again so nobody would know which members they were, and then he rubbed some Vaseline on the lens to add to their mystique. So to answer your question at the beginning of why they were wearing masks on the album cover, it's because half the, cl- the group didn't show up. Amazing. Very amazing. Have you ever bum rushed anything?
2: I don't think so, man. I mean, I was at a Pearl Jam concert once. I think he's got kind of crazy in the front.
1: He <laughs> um, threw you a tambourine, and you. Somebody you kicked me in it. the head.
2: They had they had a little little fucking mosh pit going at a Pearl Jam concert, and I got kicked in the head. I got very upset. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you meeting Method Man. I didn't tell you my method. Oh, man story.
1: tell me, tell me the Method Man story.
2: Flying from Fort Lauderdale to LA on Virgin America, where used to that used to be a flight. That's the 6 a.m. flight. So you're going through security at like 445. And like three people ahead of me is Method Man. But it's fucking 445 in the morning. And this is probably like five years ago. So I'm like, you know, like this. And I get and I see him and then he's like next to me. And I'm like it's Method Man. Don't say, like, what's up or whatever. It's 5 in the morning. But I do stick out my fist just like that. And he looks at it, and he hits my fist. And I was like, that's perfect. It's perfect. We go through security. I board the flight. I'm sitting in an aisle seat in first class. Directly across the aisle is Method Man. Right Again, though, we're boarding. It's 5.20. So I just look at him like I'm not even insane. Anymore. People are boarding. There's one chick I remember boards and she goes, "Can I get a picture?" This is fucking 5:30 in the morning and <laughs> you got boarding us. Like, yeah. She asks him for a picture, right? Yeah. So she he lets her like sit next to him. You could tell he's completely like you've got to be shitting me, right? He takes the picture. "Thank you." And he's like, "Mm-hmm." So I look over at him and I pass out. Pass out on the flight. And I it's like, you know, when you leave that early, like your sleep is it's a real deep sleep. Oh yeah. Like it's like when you wake up, you're
1: like, <laughs> you know, you're like
2: <laughs> Oh. I mean you feel like you're on dilated. You're like yeah. fucking A <laughs> And like they're like, we're landing and you're like, Oh my god. I mean I'm like nauseous. I'm like, Ugh. like it's like <laughs> I probably got up at three to make it to the airport, you know? So I'm like coming to I'm not registering things going on. I stand up and I open the overhead and as I turn he is standing he's tall dude, he's like six three. Oh wow. And he's like like I see him move his mouth and go, you know what? I was like, What's that? And he says it again and I don't make out what he says, but I'm too embarrassed. To ask him to repeat it a third time. Yeah. So I just go, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What do you ask? So I have no idea, right? So I have no idea what he said. Yeah. Then he walks off, and I'm having a moment alone where I'm like, that fucking sucks (laughs) that he just repeated himself to me, and I have no idea what he said. He, like, sought me out. Yeah. He said it to me. So I'm actually, like, bummed. So I grab my backpack. I walk up the, you know, like the five feet of the aisle. I make a left. I get onto the jet bridge. He's standing there waiting for me. And I was like, he's like, you know what I'm saying? I go, what? And he goes, I never thought that dude was going to shut the fuck up. And then I put together that he's talking about the guy that was sitting in front of me. He was like, you know, he, he never shut the fuck up. And I was like, yeah, man. He fucking never stopped. I had no idea what he was talking about. Like, I was asleep the whole flight. Yeah. I was like, fuck that guy. He's a piece of shit. And he was like, yeah. And then we walked together from the from the plane to baggage. And I'm like, what are you doing? Because we landed in LA. He's like, I'm shooting this shit with John Singleton. I was like, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I was like, you know, I always say the same thing. I'm a big fan and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. We had like a 15-minute conversation. And that was dope. Like, yeah, and I was like, fuck that guy that you don't like. I fucking hate him too. And that was That's all I said. I let, that's so know. great though. Yeah. That's yeah. so
1: fucking great though. Dude. All right. Uh I want to I know you hate speed questions uh because after because after I saw that thing. But so I've got like five. They're speed, but they're all based on this record. Okay, okay. And this is how we're going to end it. All right. Favorite song on the record.
2: I'd probably go with Protect Your Neck.
1: Got to. Lee's favorite song on the record. Tears. Good call. Uh song you could fuck to on the record.
2: I'm I'm sorry to say shame on an N-word. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely fuck to uh, that. Yeah, you can dude. You're <laughs> you you just, you just pile driving. Ga, 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 ga. I might be like, let's switch over to the instrumental. But I think I could definitely
1: do it. All right. Uh who is your favorite member of Wu Tang?
2: I feel like that's a blasphemous question. I mean, it's really hard. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate so much about different members. I don't have that, I don't have like that one, I mean, maybe like a top four. All
1: right, know? who are your top four?
2: I would go with Jizza, Ray, Ghost. And I have to say RZA. I have to. Okay. Bobby Digital will put it all together, man.
1: Great, great album, by the way, Bobby Digital. Yeah, because my 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 loving is uh, Digi. One of my favorite non Wu Tang solo. Fucking love it. Um, I would say because I'm gonna do this too. I would say number one is Old Dirty Bastard. Number two is Ghostface Killa, because when he raps, he you you feel like the 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 booth. He's like ripping off the fucking like padding. He's just like destroyed because he's got so much energy. Um. Jizza because Liquid Swords is my favorite, not album but song off any Wu Tang uh, affiliated record, Easy. and and then I don't know, man. I want to I'm going to throw in Inspecta.
2: Yeah, but see, here's the thing, man. Even you doing this, I was like, oh yeah, man. Fuck my list. No, I want to go. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's tough.
2: You can't be like that's my favorite, and then I'm like, oh wait, how am I not going to include Meth? Like he definitely, know. you know, it's like.
1: It's tough. They're all collective whole. Uh, But, okay, well, let's do this. Who had the best solo Wu-Tang, not uh, group affiliated? Like, who had the best solo record, in your opinion?
2: I mean, you'd have to go with, well, you, you either have to go with Liquid Swords or Only Built for Cuban Links, which is like, you know, that's a combo, but it's really Ray's album, I guess. Sure, you know? sure. I think.
1: No, you're, listen, they're all, those first records before Wu Tang Forever are all dope. It's just after Wu Tang Forever, it just took a really sharp nosedive. Some of it, like like Ghostface. Ghostface put out Supreme Clientele and Fish Scale and those were great. But Old Dirty Bastard second record sucked. Um meth, dude judgment night, like I that it, the album doesn't suck, but the but the 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 title song is so garbage. And I'm sorry meth. If you're listening, I fucking love you. But that ten to, we're about to begin, nine in the spine in your mind, eight and feeling great, seven we all go to heaven. It's like yeah. it's like the fucking Freddy Krueger song. You,
2: you know what I mean? This is tough to pull this shit off, man. <laughs> Consistently, <laughs> decade all after decade. All
1: um, right. Um, is Wu Tang the greatest hip hop group ever? And if not, who is?
2: I mean, there's a. All I'm saying is there's a strong case for yes. So, I mean, there's a lot of great groups. It's hard to say that, like, you you know, you discredit, like, uh, so many groups. Like I said, start with, if you want, run DMC and, you know, you go to Gangstar and EPMD and uh, Tribe and, like, there's De La Soul and there's, you know, there's amazing. You can make a case for a whole bunch of groups. But I think you have every right, every right. To say that Wu Tang is the greatest. For sure, you can say that. I mean, for sure. They created a movement, a sound, uh, an empire, a legacy. Clothing? A clothing line. And, and like, uh, there's a whole, like, Wu Tang feels like Star Wars, you know? Like, it is a, it's its own fucking thing that you can throw yourself into and lose yourself in. And so, just for that alone, and, and the, the amount of time that's passed and, and that you can still be like, this is amazing album. And, and these artists are incredible. I mean, you have a legit case for yes. Greatest group ever.
1: Completely. All right. And final question, uh which member of Wu Tang are you?
2: Mm, I've thought of this before.
1: Who would you be? I always thought I was ODB, but I don't... Because I always thought, you know, I always did a bunch of fucked up shit And when I was younger. Uh, I don't even know who I'd say now.
2: Yeah, it changes. It's just the thing. It changes with your moods. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah.
2: when I, I just want to sit around and eat ice cream, I'm like, I think I'm Raekwon. But then sometimes... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm having a you-god kind of day. You know yeah, what I'm sometimes saying? sometimes just- I'll
2: feel like I'm intellectual, and I'll be like, I'm jizzing, you know? I'm like, and then... Sometimes I'm feeling myself and I'm like, I'm meth. I you know, it just depends on your mood. That's the great thing about a band like that. You can shift and 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 adapt and feel like you're somebody one day and another person the next day, you know?
1: Who are you today?
2: Man. Today I feel like a little fucking goddamn it, that's me. Again.
1: What is it. the alarm for?
2: Take medicine.
1: <laughs> Not
2: oxys.
3: Damn it. Oh man.
2: Um uh today i feel like i'm ghostface killer for sure why you know i mean i don't know like this fucking thing makes me feel like he would wear this except there'd be an eagle on it
1: <laughs> you look like xanos fucking Thanos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got the you know what you should do you should put the fucking the infinity stones like on dude. that glove right there he did dude. like and
2: then you do a video i think in like a courthouse and he had a robe and like a fucking like a golden eagle <laughs> like mounted on his arm and the craziest chain. It was just such it's so in your face and it's so wild and like I don't know. All his his criminal like uh like lessons are are just I don't know. Sometimes you just that's just what you want to hear, man. You know, pretty tony shit. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I just feel like it I feel like it today.
1: Ah, I love it. Dude, Tom, this is great. Uh promote anything you want to promote, bud.
2: Um, yeah, just YMHstudios.com. That's our whole, that's our home base. That's where we, you know, it's where we do the podcast. That's where we do the uh, live shows. Um, so YMHstudios.com is where it's all at. Everybody go check it out, Tom. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do it.
1: What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Tom Segura people for all things, Tom, Go to his website, TomSegora.com. For Instagram, follow him, at Segura Tom, and on Twitter, at Tom Segura. Make sure you check out both of his podcasts, Your Mom's House and Two Bears, One Cave, as well as four of his stand-up specials on Netflix. And you can find all of those links at his website, or, like he said, go to YMHstudios.com. Now. We just listened to Wu-Tang Clan from 1993. Our new music pick this week is the hip-hop group that I started because of Wu-Tang, Shackles. You are listening to the world premiere of Can You Catch Our Flow. This shit was recorded in 1990, maybe 8, maybe 99, I think 98. Uh, it features me, Crackerjack, with Dead Cat, NMC Coldcock. It's from our self titled record called De shekels Six or just De shekels. You can't find it on Spotify. You can't find it anywhere. We'll put it on the website, the500podcast.com. But If you are in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, just like me, with the shekels, send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, Steely Dan Week, as we go deep into their 1974 album Pretzel Logic. If you haven't heard it yet, do your homework, listen to the record, stay fleecy, Dougal. Oh, It's extremely, the words hear the meaning of lyrical masterpiece in the sounds to the species to functify and get up into your eye, better close them tight and listen to us guys We can do it, go through it with our minds, we can move it again and again. My sword is my pen to piece it back from the front to the end. I wrote this with my pen to the end. The shekels will never stop, stop, stop. We will become the top, top, top. You know, I flow, you rock, rock, rock with this bass. Pop a chicken, pop, bitch. Can you catch a flow? Uncontrollable styles, I'm the to most. Can you
0: catch a flow? Uncontrollable styles, I'm the to most. Can you catch a flow? Uncontrollable styles, I'm the to most. Can you catch a flow? Uncontrollable styles unbeknownst the most Ooh. Get up, I shift like a Lamborghini car Potential, I possess it and stretch it to the farthest star. I philosophize, put your mind and work in motion To my perspectives, I give the utmost devotion stand sturdy, anchored, I keep my feet on the ground I like the asses round and the weed in pounds The sound echoed through the halls of my mentals Found the light and I call it sight, monumental visions that turn my problems into easy decisions i got scientific accuracy and precision to the textbooks i revert to do what i have to do and more than that i learn it and teach it to you but i don't preach it to you pass knowledge to actions wisdom you can't beat it like michael jackson passing once in the rotation swing it to the left to the right i fight the theft all night can you catch our flow uncontrollable styles unbeknownst to most can you catch our flow Uncontrollable styles, I'm a known to most. Can you catch our flow? Uncontrollable styles, I'm a known to most. Can you catch our flow? Uncontrollable styles, I'm known most. Yo, control your computer, restart the driver, rebooted. Shoot it with a lyrical bullet like a blunt When you pull it, getting high, rewind Your mind is dead, style-worn, skin-shed Snake in the head, elimination Venom in vain, heart slain, came With a search warrant full of torment and thorn and fill it to the top, overflow Show what I flow, plant the seed Now grow, we're about to blow off the map With this rap shit, sit back, blaze a blunt Get the skill that you lack, break it back In two verse, through to the core impossible to ignore it But yo, we reign like a... Can you catch a flow? I'm controlling the styles and the nose the most. Can you catch a flow? I'm controlling the styles and the nose the most. Can you catch a flow? I'm controlling the styles and the nose the most. Can you catch a
1: flow? i styles controlling the styles and the nose the most. Well, hey you're still sticking around I guess you want to hear the brand new outro from Corduroy Orbison you can find everything for Corduroy Orbison on their website CorduroyOrbison.com and let us know what you think of our new theme songs email 500 podcast at gmail.com and we'll read some of the comments on next week's show also post on our Instagram at the 500podcast or at Josh Adam Myers doogle doogle Hit it, Corduroy Orbison. The 500. Keeping it, please see,
0: For the Fleece Nation. On the 500. The 500.